Rick Masters is a counterfeiter. He makes his own money. If you can't come up with the front money, you're not for real. Richard Chance is a federal agent. He makes his own laws. I'm going to bang Rick Masters. They're on a collision course. One of them will live. Freeze! U.S. Secret Service. One of them will die. The City of Angels is about to explode. Die in LA. The director of the French Connection is about to take you through the City of Angels in the fast lane. To live and die in LA. Featuring the hot new score from Wang Chung. Rated R under 17, not admitted without parent. I am from Listen, and all you desire will be yours. Welcome to Spider-Man and the Secret Wars. Prepare for battle. Alter. Nativity. Welcome to Prattle World. I am your host, the ever-amazing, ever-spectacular Spider-Dan. And in this podcast, I spotlight entertainment's best-kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. And welcome to Alternativity Stories, a month-long look at alternative stories set around the most wonderful time of year. And we are back. We have travelled into the future, into 2023, after last week's podcast from 2022 uh, released on the main feed tony and we talked about steve james who is actually going to be in this film mm. which was released the same year as better off dead and to talk about this i'm welcoming back with my open arms for a big christmas hug it's i am jack's musings welcome back sir I fully embrace that hug because I feel like I've done something really right somewhere. I'm like the the favoured son of the podcast because you just keep giving me these absolute like gem of movies to come on and talk about. We get Sorcerer, we get Rear Window, we get um, uh, Body Double, we get, mm. you know, Disturbia is the kind of the, the, the poorer cousin of that, but in that cool. little trilogy we did. So I just keep being invited on to see these. Classics. You get the bangers, <laughs> you get the absolute bangers and then Andy gets the Ewok movies. Well, yeah, quite. I mean, I guess I should have maybe said spoiler. But, you know, yeah. I think my opinion on this one is pretty clear that my run continues. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for all of it. My pleasure. My pleasure. I I, I like that I'm I, I don't want to be this like schlockmeister as well. I don't mm. want to be known entirely as a as a, someone who's like, oh, it was a weird and shit film. It'll be Dan's choice. You know, I, I kind of get sometimes get that reputation, you know, on the Disney discussions. They're always like, oh, fucking hell, what's Dan going to make us watch this time? You know, oh, another Dragon Slayer. But the reason I'm doing that on Disney discussions is we're going to run out of mm. good mm-hmm. Disney mm-hmm. movies fucking quick so what i'm doing <laughs> is i'm allowing us to have good movies further down the line not high school musical they were 
they were another level of of, <laughs> of awful and shit. Um, but there's a re there's a there's a method to my madness. And again, mm, it's the same with this. I don't want to just do everything. If I did the Godfather and the you know all the other the big ones that people talk about all the time, you know. And again, I, we will do this, and me and Andy are going to go down that kind of route a little later in 2024. But uh, in the meantime, I I like I like to mix it up. I like to have a mm. good range of stuff. And it, next year is going to be an entirely mix up because I don't have a choice really uh, for next year. It's mostly down to my guests unless they give me the uh, option to pick things. But we are talking today about a film from Mr. William Freaking. So. Mm. Uh, we were going to do your top five um, Christmas TV specials, but we're going to postpone that because we thought after Sorcerer, it would. I felt, I felt we need to do a bit more on Mister Freakin and, and mm. appreciate him. And again, we recorded that before his death, and we didn't. Again, the Zeitgeist curse occurs quite a lot. Unfortunately, sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. That was a bad thing. Um, and again, with Alan Arkin this year as well, very unfortunate. But I thought this could be a bit more of an honorary one because we, now we know uh, the situation uh, that occurred. And uh, but yeah, it was it was a way for us to appreciate that, tie it into alternativity stories as well. Mm. As as brief as the section that is set around Christmas is, still counts. Still technically counts. Oh, it absolutely counts. I mean, it's set over a significant portion. I would have said of December. Oh yeah, it's absolutely. Just... Probably the least Christmassy alternativity story mm. Christmas. I'll come. I'll come back to that. Have. I'll come back to that. <laughs> there was even an article I found, but I'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so to live and die in LA is Freakin's sort of follow up to the French Connection. Mm-hmm. He he was looking to outdo. Uh, he went up to the stunt um, the stunt man, and he was like the stunt coordinator, and he was like, "I need this to outdo." the car chase in French Connection, which is lauded as one of the greatest car chases of all time. And he was like, if it's not good enough, it's not going in the film. So make it good. But yes, To Live and Die in LA, before we get into the nitty gritty of it, and it is nitty and it is gritty, Mm. why don't you give us a very, very brief synopsis of the film? Oof. All right. Good luck. Yeah. We have two Secret Service agents who are initially tasked with protecting the president. But as it turns out, that's not all they do. They also work in counterfeiting, which I have now learned. And now I've listened to Freakin' on several... I've gone down a real freaking mm. wormhole, as you know, since watching this movie, listening to podcast after podcast. and Hurricane Billy. Absolutely. So that's what drew him in, I think, that, that sense of, like, they live in these two very different worlds, the Secret Service. So, yeah, we have these Secret Service agents who, at the start of the movie, are protecting the president, but quickly get moved into the counterfeiting unit. And the rest of the movie really is about spoilers. One of these Secret Service agents being paired out with a new agent, trying to stop Eric Masters, um, a very aptly named Master Counterfeiter. The names are on the nose in this movie, and I, I absolutely love it. And, yeah, just so trying to stop him because he is just... He has a a literal license to print money. It's so good that, you know, it seems to be everyone, everybody accepts it and they're on his tail and they're trying to stop him. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. It's actually a lot easier than I thought. Stop the counterfeiter. But there's, I there's mean, it a... goes to lots of weird and wacky places sure. in order to try and stop him, doesn't it? But I mean, I guess the, the kernel, the premise, hmm. that's what it is really, isn't hmm. it? Stop Willem Dafoe being mm. naked and sexy and sleeping with lots of bisexual women. He's yeah, yeah. I mean, he is living <laughs> his best life. He's so like fresh faced and young looking. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very early in his career. It's before the year before Platoon. Mm-hmm. He's come off the Loveless. 
Um, yeah, so he's very early days. But this this is the one role that kind of first got him really kind of recognized, I think. Mm. Like, mm. like when he was knocking, I, I watch a video on Vanity Fair that he's talking about his roles and his work and his filmography. And he says that this is the one where people like really heavy guys, tough guys in Hollywood were like, oh, shit. Here comes Rick Masters. Don't fuck with him. Mm. It was like yeah, the, first, so. the first time where it was like he's being recognized for what he does mm-hmm. outside. And yeah, and I, I think he's he's I, I love Willem Dafoe anyway. I'll I'll he's one of my favorite actors. I'll watch him in anything. I think he's great. He's always it's like Nick Cage, he's he's usually the most interesting film in, uh, thing mm-hmm. in any film, is what I meant to say. Um, yeah, he's just he's wonderful. You know, I saw him in Spider-Man and I was like, who is this fucking guy? And I was like, <laughs> I need to look, I need to watch everything he's in. I went back and watched Platoon and Streets of Fire and loads of other stuff he's been in as well. And he's always he always brings his absolute awe, but he's he's a phenomenal actor. And I think he's I think he's phenomenal in this. I think the yeah. the amount of time that we spend with him it's it's brief but it's used very well uh, mm. to establish who he is mm. i love the so he he's a struggling he's not a struggling artist by any, by any means i guess because he's fucking counterfeiter but he what i love is that it's it's an art form creating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the the bills there's a whole sequence that was done by a and freaking got in another consultant uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, another consultant, uh, you know, quotes uh, <laughs> uh, to to. I think he got out. Money. Another consultant is the better way to phrase it. Really, yeah, okay. got this guy out of prison. Shit, really? He actually, you know, I think he's a pretty straight shooter, freaking, isn't he? And I listened to him on the Mark Maron What the Fact podcast, and I listened to him talk to Mark Kermode. And in both those podcasts, there was some cro- there was some crossover. Some of the stories were, you know, people sure. sort of repeating. But I guess you know, you've only got so many stories. But on both those podcasts, yeah, he he said I got the guy out of prison in order to consult on this movie. So he and, really was a professional yeah. counterfeiter. And again, initially it was there was also a Secret Service consultant working mm-hmm. on it. I think I think you might I think you might be right actually. I think it's the the Secret Service consultant got the guy out of mm-hmm. prison to en- enable them to counterfeit bills and show them. And a lot of the time, I think it's his hands that are being shot while doing the counterfeiting. And, uh, and the Secret teaching. Service agent's the author, isn't it? And then and the screenwriter. Yes, he was, yeah. So, yeah, partially, I think... Gerald I think, Pe- Petrovich or Gerald yeah, Petrovich some, or... Yeah, something, yeah, something like that. He wrote the novel and then he gave the screenplay to Freak Kid, didn't he? And then... Absolutely, yeah. And and that's what Friedkin loved about it, this kind of batshit Mm. crazy idea of protecting the president and you know counterfeiting which again you wouldn't put those two together you never again you always think on tv you think secret service protecting president or Mm. maybe some espionage terrorist type stuff um you don't think counterfeiting you really you wouldn't unless you've seen this yeah it's not something i've never even contemplated before i mean secret service i sort of think can easily be in the line of fire that's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. Which, running, running along with the, it's got the flags, flags on yeah. the, uh, on the old car, on the limo. So yeah, absolutely. That is, that's the image I think of. So it is a really interesting angle, and it's that classic going back and back to freaking. It's that, it's that authenticity, isn't it? It's that you said gritty at the start. It's that this hat, this is, has it in spades again. But it's clearly something that he is drawn to. Is that he wants to represent these worlds through a, an almost cinema verite. It's not really that, but you yeah. know, an almost like. An authentic lens is the best yes. way to put it. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, there's there's an authenticity here. However, I think 
when you compare it with something, I'm not actively comparing the two films, but French Connection is very different. Like for, mm-hmm. compared mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. different era, different area, you know, and and this is very much kind of within that that kind of framework. But I think there is a little bit of the the splash of the '80s and that kind oh. of. Mm-hmm. There's very LA, very Hollywood. His version of that, and you can you can feel that. And there's a there's a I think there's a coolness here where mm-hmm. there isn't in the French Connection. It's not nothing cool or glamorous about the French Connection. No, I think you're absolutely right. There's there's a decade between them, isn't there? And, yeah. and a bit more, but like yeah, there's very much the the movie brat seventiesness in French Connection, and there's very much the eighties MTV. At mm. times, there's segments of To Live and Die in LA that are a bit like a music video you know for like a, a two or three minute long section of william peterson driving around with some pumping wang chan in the background so, <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right and i know a lot of people made the comparison and rightly so i mean this comes out the year after mammy vice ed started mm-hmm. airing i've never actually seen i don't think a single episode of mammy vice obviously very aware, very aware of what it is and i've seen the michael mann later movie mammy vice but man and freaking were really good friends weren't they mm-hmm. and this is kind of freaking's authentic Miami Vice, if you like. But it can't help, as you said, to have some of that 80s MTV style, LA style to bleed in. And it's a very, it's a different form of glamour than something the Miami Vice had. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of stylish, where this is kind of, this isn't stylish, but there's a, there's a flair, I think is is the best Mm, way. I like that. To describe it. There's a, there's a, there's an artistic over the top kind of, Hollywood flair to what's being put on the on the film, and yeah, it's it the, they're very different. But I can see the comparisons. Mm. Um, again, I've not watched the show, but I can I've seen images and videos and things, mm-hmm. um, but I've not directly watched it. But there was a rumor that Michael Mann was was suing Freakin, which mm. is apparently false as well, because like mm. you said, they were they were good mates, mm. so it doesn't doesn't really track that. But there's there's something absolutely uh unique about this film even though it's very much like oh it's another buddy cop film at mm-hmm. christmas you know there's a lot of those in fact the um the actress who um is it flugel i want to say yeah yeah Flug- yeah, yeah flugel she's the she's the informant isn't she she mm-hmm. plays the informant she turns up in another film i might do maybe next year or another year mm. Which is running scared with um, with uh, Billy Crystal? Oh yeah, yeah. I've never co- seen that, but I know I know the film you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's Peter Hyams, and it's um, mm-hmm. oh, what's his? Other, uh, I can't remember the other guy's name, but it's kind of a, a it's kind of it's lethal weapon, but a more humorous lethal weapon. And, and to say, you know, this movie set at Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's a buddy cop. It has a character that says, "I'm too old for this shit." In it, mm, I yeah, mean, yeah. Shane Black owes some debts <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. But I mean, in, so you know, I know you watched that interview. I never watched it because you told me not mm. to. But Refin talking mm. to Freakin about Sorcerer. But I mean, Refin clearly is a big fan of this movie. Yeah. As is David Fincher. I mean, there is the DNA of those two directors and Shane Black, of course, mm. like all over this movie. Like this is a massively influential movie upon what I would consider directors, later directors, with, as you put it, flair. I think that's a really nice way of putting it. They must love this movie. Oh, absolutely. I will say as well, like uh, Running Scared's kind of a bit more of a Beverly Hills Cop type thing. Uh, okay, okay. Also, yeah. also set at Christmas, but I'd say it's it's probably closer to Beverly Hills Cop than to Lethal Weapon, but there is some connective mm. tissue. But she plays uh, Billy Crystal's strange wife. 
estranged okay. wife. Um, and yeah, but it, it's in, it's entertaining, uh, mm. and it's it's got Jimmy Smits as the villain in it as well. Ah, cool. I give it a go. It's not it's not half bad. It's not half bad. No, I will. I, I mean, especially again, if you're covering it. Uh, yeah, I might I may do. We'll we'll see. We'll see what the the lineup is. Uh, but we'll find out. But uh, she's another one. Like she, I mean, we could say it's for everybody. I think, but she is excellent in this. Is it da- Darianne Flugel? Yeah. Put up in front of me here. Um, very like she has like a Sharon Stone esque quality. I thought. Yes. yes. Very like kind of you know sexy but dangerous, and you're never quite sure what truth she's whether she's giving you the truth or I could see that. I think she's passed away. I think she's died unfortunately. But oh, really, um, shit, I didn't know. I think I think I have we can say that, but um, she's somebody I could have seen to have gone on to have a very kind of successful career. I'm surprised she hasn't gone. On, she didn't go on to do a lot more. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure either because she's she's got that look, hasn't she? She's got like mm. an iconic cinema Hollywood look to with her. that kind of femme towel esque, you know, kind of the blonde hair and that kind of Hitchcockian. Mm, yes, we talked I mean, about blondes before. We have, yeah. <laughs> I just looked her up. 2017, she died. So it's not like she was young. No. Still. but um yeah i don't really know of her of, of anything else so maybe she sort of had her period in the 80s and and that was kind of that but uh i think there's to her performance there's a there's a wonderful vulnerability to it as well mm. like there's, um and again she's this informant she's being forced to work with this police officer and again she's in a difficult position because she doesn't want to go to jail and richard chance is sleeping with her and being with her and getting money off her and he knows he knows she could end up dead he doesn't care mm. um you know and and that's just the way he is but she's but then it, you're wondering is she manipulating him maybe is she trying to get him killed because uh, we find out the job she tries to give him later on in the film, they need money in order to get the the upfront fee for Rick Masters to catch him in the act, basically. But they can't. The police captain, who is played by Robert Downey Senior, yeah, 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 which I didn't realise till yeah, afterwards. Yeah, um, he he's saying you can't you can't have thirty grand. It's not it's not going to happen. We'll only give you ten grand. That is it. And then you I know think that's Rick, their upper limit. They're allowed, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I think that was like we can't give you any more than that, and they're like, mm-hmm. but we we can't get him in a position where we'll give himself away if we don't have that money. So she gives him information earlier on that he doesn't take because he's like, I'm not interested. In, I think it was supposed to be diamonds. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so so she's like, ignore that. He's like, I'll ignore that for now, and then it, but it comes up when it needs when they need the money. Is like, right, we're going to do this. We're going to just rob this guy mm-hmm. um, because Richard Chance is all about taking chances. He's a <laughs> He's a chancer. Um, yeah. uh, he's got a death wish. He's taking risks. He's obsessed. He's an obsessed cop, like they all are, to get his man because, of course, he killed his partner, but just a few days before retirement. Yeah. But that, like, back and forth, like, for people to be spreading that rumour that Michael Mann wants to sue him because of Miami Vice, well, then you look at Heat later on and you look at the, you know, the... Well, we've got to talk about Eric, Rick Masters. I mean, in terms of okay. an alias, that is shit, isn't it? But we'll come back to that. But, um, you know, like the the Chance Masters mm. kind of counterpoint is yes. very much the, you know, the um, Vincent Hanna, and I'm, Robert De Niro's character's name's escaping me from... Mm. I think it's... No, it's escaping me. It was nearly there and it went. Yeah. But from the, you know, the Robert De Niro, Al Pacino characters in Heat, there's very much that obsessed versus the professional vibe going on there so you know their mates borrowing from each other it's it's perfectly fine oh absolutely i mean it's all again it's a lot of these tropes are well trodden you know mm. it's not it's not like this is new shit the partner dies they go after the guy and mm-hmm. the 
they go rogue, you know, they do the 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 dirty Harry and they're like not playing by the not going by the book or playing by the rules. You I'll know? do whatever it takes. Whatever it, it takes. Exactly. And I think but I think Richard Chance in some respects goes way harder than a lot of those would mm. would actually go. And again, he's not actually a cop, he's a secret service agent as well. Yeah. So we kind of sidestep a lot of those kind I mean, it's played like it's a cop. The mm-hmm. the roles they play are so you know the law enforcement agents, not actual cops, but to a degree they are. So a lot of those tropes kind of bleed into each other a little bit. But mm-hmm. but oh, he's yeah. corrupt before this. Oh, absolutely, starts, isn't he? So he's already <laughs> yeah. a corrupt secret service agent. The way he's treating Panka um, or Vukovic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what's what is um, Flugel's character's name? Oh, I can't remember. The way he's treating. Yeah, yeah. She is kind of manipulating him into having sex with him, and yeah, absolutely, and stuff. Ruth, that was it, yeah. So the way he's treating her and abusing that kind of posi- position of power, mm. none of that's okay. So he's not a good guy before the film starts anyway, let alone once he's got this kind of motivated, this, you know, this motivation because yeah. his, his soon-to-retire partner, he's going to retire and um, go fly fishing, it looks like. I mean, <laughs> I, I love it. It's so on the nose, it must be on purpose. Yeah. I think and, the, and the rod flips almost out like, like a... a Police baton, doesn't it? The way it flicks out of the tube, it's like there's some funny little moments. Puts it back, puts it back. He's it's almost like putting his own penis away and then he gets shot. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we have that. And again, he's he's base jumping, he's bungee jumping off off bridges. Um, yeah. and you know, and and again, you don't know because you've not really because it's it's it has an odd opening because I, I didn't remember mm. this. I didn't I didn't not remember the Secret Service opening at the beginning. I had I could not I was like I was like, how does this open? Because it, it has that and it and it goes like I'm I'm not complaining or or taking issue with it, but it is a bit weird because it has this opening. <laughs> Ronald Reagan makes two appearances, two uh-huh. cameos in this. One one in the office, because his photo's up in the Secret Service office, and then you hear you hear his speech. Mm-hmm. Um, about hard decisions and things, and I'm I'm wondering if Friedkin was was taking a jab at like re- Reaganomics, or because this is all about money and counterfeiting. I, I don't imagine he was a great supporter. From from what I can hear, you know, from what I can hear of him as a person, sure. yeah. The the opening is easily the weakest section of the movie, mm. and I believe was an invention of maybe what well, of Friedkin, I think, but it was yeah. something that Friedkin wanted to put in in order to have like a cold opening. To mm. the story, it makes little to no sense. I don't really understand. Yeah. I don't understand what the. I'm going to call him a terrorist, but sure. people can't see. I'm putting air quotes around yeah, it. Yeah. I don't really understand what his plan was. Yeah, because Chance catches a glance of him in the corridor and goes after him. He's actually doing a good job at this point. Like sure. that doesn't seem quite right. His instincts yeah. take him there. He finds him on the roof, and he's got a bomb vest on, mm. and his goal is to jump off the roof. I assume, and then set the vest off. I, I don't. I, thing is, I don't know, because then they end up doing that anyway, pushing mm. him off the roof, and it blows up. Yeah. And he, but, uh, also, yeah, also, is, no sense. also, his elderly partner somehow manages to <laughs> clamber up the side of the building. Yeah. Is it Frank? Uh, yeah, Frank. I think. Yeah. yeah, clamber up the side of the building, and then and then pull him. Sounds sounds dirtier than it is. Pull him off the roof, <laughs> um, and then he and he's like ah. And again, I think you're right. I feel like I feel like that might have been a. I think I he he clearly wanted to go look at them being weird and 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 look at these two different worlds that they inhabit the the protecting mm-hmm. the, of the president and the counterfeiting because mm-hmm. I think you might not necessarily make that connection that they're secret service agents maybe. Yeah, but it's it's a weird. 
it's a weird cold opening. Again, it's nothing. There's nothing particularly wrong about it. It just feels like it's it, the thing. You have that, and then you go into the kind of Beverly Hills Cop mm-hmm. style opening, mm-hmm. which is that you've got the music showing yeah. the city streets, and it feels very Beverly Hills Cop. That like that with that you know, wonderful Wang Chung. Yeah, like, title song. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's like it's just like the heat is on from the first Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. The heat is on, and it's just showing people doing their thing, and titles are showing and everything. Um, and that feels like that's where the film initially would have started. Like yeah, it feels 100%. like goes, and but yeah, it just it felt very odd. Um, and then again, we we see them, and he's like, "You're too risky. You're taking too many chances." Uh, chance, uh, <laughs> you know, and he's like, "You've got to, you've got to think about retirement." He's like, "I'll never retire." Yeah. You know, um, you know, he's he's crazy. There's young. the kind of point breakness of like, you know, I love the adrenaline too much. Mm, I love the yes, yeah. There's there's so many things which felt. I know sometimes it's redundant to be like, oh, I can see that this director's been mm. influenced in this film, but my brain couldn't stop when I was watching this. It just feels like because this is such a underseen, I'm going to assume underseen mm. and underrated movie that that there's probably all these people that are in the know that have seen it. Just from you know, like I say, these big names we spoke about mm. to the start, from something to something like Navy SEALs. I don't know if you've seen Navy SEALs. I've not seen Navy SEALs. It's like Michael Bean and Bill Paxton and Charlie Sheen. Like, it's got big people in it. It was a cheesy, like, late 80s, early 90s action movie. But Charlie Sheen's character in that is like a thrill seeker. And there's a scene when they're driving away from... It's Dennis Haysbert, who I know from 24. He's like, he played mm. the president 24, from his wedding. And because he's so bored being winning, he has to do something risky. So he jumps out of the convertible car and off a bridge into the water. So hence this this film making me think of the same right, thing. Okay. But even like little moments like that where it's like to show their addiction to kind of the adrenaline and the thrill seeking, it felt like that moment maybe was a little bit inspired as well. Just all these little things I just couldn't help tracing back to to, to this movie. So for for us to be talking about this being itself somewhat derivative of kind of convention hmm. and I, I do think it's probably a starting point for a lot of later films and filmmakers and there's sideways parallels of Beverly Hills Cop and but I think actually the the influence of To Live and Die in LA well lives on it's such such an interesting film like William William uh William Peterson had a a good couple of years I think with this and then he did and then he did a Manhunter directly yeah uh, which again I I really enjoy as well working with Mr. Man Man. yeah yeah exactly so he's clearly he's clearly gone that was a nice film. I like him. I love him. Yeah, yeah. Freakin went. He's probably want to work with this guy. He's pretty decent. <laughs> and and again, he like freaking because because of um, the multiple kind of I won't call them failures, but let's say mm. movies mm-hmm. that didn't necessarily hit. So we're talking mm. Sorcerer, um, Cruising. I think mm. Brink's job is in between those as well, which was like a TV movie because he was kind of slowly coming back after the we talked about the emotional and physical toll Sorcerer had. Mm on freaking so he kind of did a little tv job with peter fault uh colombo and then he did cruising and again that was controversial again i've not seen that no I, but i've heard it's controversial but i would maybe like to cover that at some point one day maybe with yourself we could, we could let's do it. it but uh but yeah so he was looking for kind of something it's a lower budget much lower budget than those films he's casting unknowns mm. much like french connection you know with roy scheider and um and gene hackman so and he, he's got a non-union crew because yeah. uh the cinematographer um what was his name is it jim Mueller. Mueller, that was it yeah. um he was non-union so so again, they had to hire non-union. So again, that's kind of keeping costs down to a degree. And and yeah, and that's what 
kind of again it it wasn't a massive critical or financial hit but it did all right it did mm, pretty, mm-hmm. pretty damn well um that nobody was kind of crying or complaining about it critics had an issue with all the characters being unlikable but i disagree with that as well um yeah, me too because i think one of the best performances in it is actually the the most likable character is is vukovic or, mm-hmm. or john panko is the he's the young rookie uh, again, the young guy, you know, he's doing it by the book. He's, you know, he's he's idealistic. Um, and Richard Chance is like, I'll steal evidence. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'll shoot that guy. I don't give a fuck. I'll rough him up. I'll throw him off a bridge. I don't give a fuck. Um, and he's like, no, 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 we've got to do it this way. And he's like, I, I told you I'm going to do whatever I can to get this mm-hmm. guy because he killed my partner and we were going to get him anyway. I will do anything. And he's like, yeah, fair enough. And then he's like, first thing, he's like, no, I can't do that. Can't steal a book. <laughs> Naughty, that is. I'm going I'm to report you. And he's like, if you want to fucking report me, then that's it. And, and you know, and the, there's various moments throughout the film. And Vukovic, who who gives in, and he he, mm. he starts, the, the kind of degradation of his moral code is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And his anxiety and panic that we see, throughout the film and it's just kind of getting to him more and more and more and again it it leads up to that to that ending as well which again um Friedkin talks about this being he wanted to showcase a counterfeit world mm-hmm. um with you know counterfeit money counterfeit um feelings emotions counterfeit motivations um counterfeit lives you know mm-hmm. the, the you know to quote Jay and Silent Bob Hollywood is so fake you know, um, a weird quote to pull out my ass, but there you go. Um, but there is that element mm-hmm. of it. There's a, there's a, you know, a chicanery or, a, um, you know, just a, a falseness to everything, mm-hmm. um, which, which I appreciate. And again, I think setting it in LA adds another level to that. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I mean, I think Pankow was Peterson's mate, wasn't he? Yeah. So Peterson got the role. He essentially said to freaking, well, mm-hmm. I know somebody, knowing that they were casting. Yeah, looking for people. They were theatre buddies, weren't they? I think it was six million dollars or something this cost, which is crazy. Mm, that's mental, like, isn't it? It looks like a much more like it costs much, much more than that. Mm. But they managed to leave for that money is great. And so they have a brilliant chemistry, which makes sense. They're good friends off off screen. They both inhabit their characters completely. Like completely. I totally forget that they're not those people. You know, mm. sometimes even when it's a great performance by an actor, yeah. It's a great performance. Be- but it's an actor doing a great performance. Whereas here, it's just two people being those people. And I think that 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 has the authenticity, and we can talk a little bit, mm. which I'm sure you've got the same research that I have about mm. how Freakin was capturing that authenticity through the filming. Mm. But I really like how, how Chance just basically says, I'm going to do it. Like, he's corrupt, and he's not a good mm. guy, and he's he's not a hero, he's a protagonist. But he's he's honest about mm. it. He's like... As you said, no, no, I am going to fucking do this. And if you want to turn me in, go on then. Uh, but he never like he never he never like duplicitous and counterfeit to yeah to to um, Vukovic. No, like once once he's earned his Vukovic has earned his place after like the first mission or whatever it might be. I think it's afterwards the book, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't turn him in. That's it. He's just like, well, I'm going to do this. And yeah, I think the um, lovely language is like that degradation of character for Vukovic. Mm. I think that gets to a really interesting place. And I think it's, re- for me, I feel it's really open what's happened at the end of the, the movie. I don't know how early we want to talk okay. about that. And it mm-hmm. made me think of when we spoke about After Hours. Yes. I, was, I don't want to think of the yeah. movies we, we've covered together. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, and how open this kind of ending is and what, what mm, the interpretation what, of what's happened. And that, that final shot is very interesting as well. And mm. again, very, in, in, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. I don't want to do spoilers. We'll do, we're doing light spoilers, but I don't want to do 
major spoilers towards the end Fair uh, because i i think it's quite you know i'm quite liberal with spoilers i think a lot of the time but i think yeah. this one it's quite important so um, yes i think I, I think i think we have to talk about it but yes as as absolutely said, we'll build 100%. up to it and we'll, we'll make sure unlike unlike, unlike sorcerer i was like i don't think we need to talk about the ending i think we mm-hmm. do need to talk about the ending in this um but yeah i it's it's well let's talk about the way he decided to film it again mm. he's filming like he's casting these guys just after speaking with them briefly gary mm. sinise auditioned initially didn't get the role but they said do you know any any guys uh, in chicago because that was a real up-and-coming place for young actors at the time and i think they were all in the same theater company mm-hmm. or something like that um and and william peterson says you know because he's a mensch uh, Gary Sinise suggested him. And again, both ended up on CSI together mm. well, in, in different shows, but same franchise. So um, and this is such a different character as well from from Manhunter and, mm. and from Grissom in CSI for him. Like it shows just how I think I think he's a bit of an underappreciated actor, actually. I think William Peterson is is a- excellent in all of those roles, all three of those roles, his most famous roles. Um, but uh he was also in cruising, actually. He was also in cruising. Mm very brief minor role i think i'm not i'm not seeing it but i think he's in the bar somewhere but or something or no not no it's not cruising it's thief he's in thief oh uh, yeah yeah michael yeah, yeah. man again right. michael man yeah. again uh i love thief by the way thief yeah, is a amazing film. fucking fantastic film um and and yeah so he's he he doesn't want to rehearse some of the actors did want to rehearse but he wouldn't mm. sometimes he wouldn't be there or he'd say maybe just do a, a quick run through or a quick like there was, it sounds dangerous, but not a lot of this was planned out, or mm-hmm. they they would just have a conversation on the day with the cinematographer. Good, a good example is the airport sequence. Um, mm. The the cast is absolutely stacked in this film, by the way. Um, Stockwell, Dean Stockwell, uh, mm. John Turturro, Steve James, um, fucking just everybody, every everybody you can think of is in this. Yeah, uh, and there's a sequence where they're chasing after John Turturro, who has given some uh, fake dollar bills over and and they they check the dollar bill and then they're running after him they're pelting down and the sequence they were looking at this and trying to work out what to do and they were like you're going to run a- along the it's kind of an escalator but it's the one that's kind of on I, yeah i don't know i don't no, know what you call it no me neither a travelator yeah i don't know either We'll call it a travelator, but there's there's a there's a section of it where you could potentially run across it if you wanted. Mm-hmm. And William Peterson was like, uh, you know, they worked it out. And then the people at the people at the airport said, absolutely fucking not. Nobody is doing that. We don't yeah. want to indicate it's the one that. thing you're not allowed to do because people will copy you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, and also, this is a like a post nine eleven world, so they were probably a little more liberal than than they you know would have been at that point. But yeah, yeah, pre, sorry, pre nine eleven world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pre, sorry, well, pre nine eleven. Yeah. The fact that John Turturro's character walks up to a counter, just pay some cash. I <laughs> know oh, it's counter, but pay some cash. I want to get on this plane today. I'll yeah. get on this plane in a few Off we minutes. Go. Off we go. Bye. There's no yeah. like security checks, nothing. Like yeah, absolutely. But uh, so so they said they, they were speaking to William Peterson and freaking. They were like, oh, they don't want us to do it. And they were like, we've got to do it. It's great. It's got we've got to do it. It's gonna be so cool. Come on, we've got to do it. Okay, it's like okay, I'm gonna shoot this. Robbie's gonna shoot this. If you happen to run across mm. the travelator, um, if you forget, you know. We'll just see they, what happens. Because they told security it was going to be a, a they were doing like a walkthrough, didn't they? So yeah, we're just going to re- this this is the rehearsal. rehearsal. And, and then, then, we'll and then the it was one. like he's going to be recording. Do what you want. Yeah. 
it was a very like run and gun production and i think mm. because of that i think again that feeds into that authenticity mm. like like we were saying the the actors sometimes they would be like oh just just do a walk through a run through whatever you want to call it uh and they'd be like robbie put the camera on now yeah yeah, yeah. you know and and then they'd be like oh shit we've done it like the the scene where um frank and uh, Chams come out the bar. That that was one take. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other stuff uh, was again just the first run through, and they'd be like, "Right, got it. Don't need it." Like, I think that's... he said like he did no more than two takes of anything mm. in the whole movie, which makes sense to me. But only because, as you said, everything feels in the moment. Yeah. Nothing feels bad. I would say probably the the weakest probably is Mister Senior, Mister Downey Senior. But only because we've seen other people do that role and have a really strong impact before. I don't think he's bad per se, but I think what we expect of that role and also who he's up against. Yeah, that is wonderful, isn't it? And I think it just gets, I don't know, like it just has this, it gives it this this pulse, doesn't Mm. it? It gives it this like beating pulse all the way through. And I think they're being caught off guard and it's just adding to the element of, of their performance. And even when they think it's, yeah, like you say, a rehearsal or a run through when he's like, Right, we've got it. On to the next setup, and I think that's a wonderful way to make a film. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, again, I think you might not. Well, Freakin was known for being a bit of a Richard Chance, as we've talked about mm-hmm. previously, and you know, he'd, he'd do things and take chances and go further. And he was like, "Whatever it takes to get what I need to get, I'm gonna get it. Yeah. Whoever I need to pay or do or whatever, I'm gonna find a way to do it." So, in a way, it, Chance is almost a bit like. There's some similarities there I can see in Freak, and I can see why he would like this character. Or, or again, not necessarily a likable character, but not one you necessarily hate either. It kind of, no. I wouldn't even say an anti-hero, really. It no. go, doesn't go far enough to be an anti-hero, but it doesn't go, you know, far enough to the other side to be a hero. Just, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful film. It's, it's gorgeous. I highly recommend it. It looks great. It feels like it has you by the throat, mm-hmm. by the scruff of the neck. Like from maybe not from the get go necessarily, but it catches your attention at the very least. And then once you get well, past the opening credits, and then yeah. I'd say as soon as Defoe enters the picture, that's when it really yeah. starts. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as we get that that wonderful montage of him mm. creating the, the machinery, but so not even mm-hmm. creating the money, is it first of all, he's yeah. creating the plate and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, just again to reference another movie, it really made me think of that wonderful opening to Seven, where we're seeing that really in-depth look behind the scenes, as we come to learn later, of John Doe's life and his plans. And mm-hmm. it has that intricate nature mm-hmm. and, and really... Because we, no, we have no context for what he's doing No, initially, much like that in Seven. We don't know yeah. the context of what that is or what's going to come or how that's going to... by the end, we know so much about that person through what we've seen, like mm. the, the professional nature of um, Eric Masters and how much pride he takes in what he does and the skill set that he has in order to create it. And as we see from... This might even be slightly before the scene when he, he's not totally happy with his painting. So he takes it outside and he burns it. That that that's that nature of him and how like the perfection the perfection mm. that he has c- comes through from the scene. I think it's wonderful. So I think that's when it captures us. Say about like um in terms of the filming, sorry, mm, in terms like the, the the spontaneous nature. There's some shots, and you were sort of talking about this earlier when you and I were just talking about framing. Sometimes you were talking about a, a different movie about how the framing was terrible, and sometimes it was a shot where like here's one head and the person's mm. not quite in shot. At times, this movie kind of had that. Yes. At times, 
the framing was not perfect and the proxemics of characters where they're standing was not perfect but it makes sense when you consider how they made it because mm. Mueller is like I've got a camera and I'm doing my best to try and capture what's happening as actors are running through or they're improvising yeah. or the scenes carrying on and that one between Flugel and Peterson when she's at work yes. she's like she's like um in the reception for like a strip club or something yeah, yeah that's the best example of that sometimes Peterson is not even pretty much in frame at all but that's because Mueller literally cannot fit him in and he hasn't got a mark to stand on no. so I think even without knowing how it's filmed there's something about about that that makes sense even as you're watching it, it mm. because he's on the fringes he's on the outside of mm. society he's sort of out of frame and he's just pushing in enough to so i don't know it all just comes together to work wonderfully yeah he's he's a a, a bigger a bigger than life personality that's mm-hmm. that's why he's being cut off because he's he's just so big for this world and he's and... already moving on to the next thing so it's like exactly yeah, i'm sitting like here now off. but yeah my, my head's already half mm. off on the next thing i'm going to so Fre- freaking said as well like you know, Mueller, you know, Robbie, film it however you can. Try and get them in frame. But if they're not in frame, they're not in the film. Fuck them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, much worry. like the, as you as we'll get to, I'm sure, much like the, the chasing, you know? Yes, it's not good absolutely. Enough. Sorry, it's out. Out, cut it, exactly. And Sorry, you were going to say something about the, the counter. I was, just, I was going to say something about, uh, I, th- I love the, again, the, di- the the dichotomy, not only between Peterson and, and uh, Vukovic uh, mm-hmm. or uh, Pankow, but also di- the dichotomy between Defoe and Peterson. Mm. Like, Peterson is is living, you know, he's living in these shacks and, and shacking up with criminals and, you know, doing all this stuff, risking his life and becoming obsessed and then, and then on the other end, Defoe again has, and he has these very like Peterson has these very kind of you know he's kind of taking advantage of this woman um, and and using his position of power. But Defoe has a very healthy sex life, very mm-hmm. healthy relationship. Um, he he lives very comfortably in these big this massive house. He can walk around; nobody can fucking touch him. He's got a lawyer, you know. He's got he's he's casual and calm. He doesn't give a fuck. And then. Chances constantly running around like mm. he's a fucking headless chicken, like fuck. And then the fact that Defoe's character, he, he's he's an artist as a criminal. He's he's an exceptional artist, but in his creative life, he's a he sees himself as a failure. He can't get it right. He's mm. he's trying. He's funneling this money into his art, but it's still not fulfilling him, or it's not coming out the way he wants it. Uh, and I love, I love that kind of again that dichotomy between, you know, people would just go, well, why don't you just do this? And well, yeah, but it doesn't fulfill his need and his passion mm. in this way. Um, so I, I love that he he still views himself as a failed artist in one at one point at the same point as he as he knows he's a successful artist in this criminal venture at the same the exact same time. It's such a and again, what I love about this as well is is not a moment of this film is wasted mm, there's not, not there's not a pointless scene or a or dialogue that that's you're just like oh this is just fucking weird dialogue everything about this is you know it's brief and quick and snappy and much like sorcery we don't need the dialogue we're mm-hmm. following the story mm-hmm. it's it's very pinpoint accurate and again the way it's the way it's filmed knowing the way it's filmed and the 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 resulting product is incredible really the 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 you know yeah. the editor the editor i think it was bud i want to say bud smith was the editor the fact that they've made in such a chaotic way or seems chaotic 
but actually the the ending product is is very measured mm-hmm. and and carefully uh, composed much like the the artists in this film when when making you know his his counterfeit money i think that and, comes down to the vision though doesn't it because it's very yeah. much like fury road when they were making that all of them were like what the fuck are we doing like <laughs> i literally don't understand what film i'm making i don't but then they all watched the finished film and they're like oh my god he is a genius mm. the way he brought it all together and i imagine this had a similar feel they were going with it like what i I was just practicing and you filmed it and now you're just going to use that in the film. And, you know, all these kind of situations they were getting put into, what, you want me to, I know we haven't got there yet, but you want me to drive this car, me, the actor, and do this? Okay. And but and then they see the finishing and they, they probably were like, oh, shit, he knew in his head all along exactly the film he was going to make. I will say there was a, looking on the Blu-ray, um, there is a deleted scene. Mm, okay. But uh, and he and William Friedkin says, "I wish I'd included it, but I'm actually quite glad he didn't, because of of all the you know all these you know the critics and some of the audience said, oh, there's not a a likable character in this. Mm-hmm. Everyone's horrible.' And I was like, yeah, but it doesn't matter what it, the story it's trying to tell. It doesn't really matter. But there's a scene that just before they kind of do the deal with Rick Masters towards the end, mm-hmm. um." He's on the phone with Peterson, and Peterson's like, "It's happening tonight. It's going down tonight." Vukovic yeah. is at the bar, and they're watching sports. And he's, yeah, I, I did find that a bit weird that he's making that phone call at that point. Like, go somewhere quiet, mate. But all right, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> he's panicked. He's like, "I've got to speak to him now. Sure, Wherever I, I am, so. I've got to do it." Because oh. again, we get to a point where, which I, I quite like. I didn't realize this. I think the first time I watched it, but he's speaking to Rick Masters' lawyer. The the yes, yeah, about, the Stockwell character, yeah. Because they've stolen the the car chase and the the thievery of the the theft of the uh, diamonds or supposed diamonds. Uh, why? No, they were diamonds. They counted, didn't they? Yeah. Um, or it was money. It was money on him. It wasn't diamonds. I don't think. It was yeah, because it was a well, it was a set, wasn't it? Because yeah, because it was, was empty. But he had a didn't have any diamonds in. But he had, he had a bum money. bag, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Um, so so he gets Alley that. Pack for, for, that's it. For the, <laughs> whatever that belt, the money belt, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, the so they do that, and they've actually robbed and killed an FBI, accidentally killed an FBI agent, yeah, um, an undercover agent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and then literally all of the FBI, they don't know it's the FBI, and they know. don't kill him. Yeah. To be fair, yeah. So he shot accidentally. Shot yeah. yeah, accidentally shoots. I think he gets nudged or falls or slips and shoots. Um, or I, I can't remember it. Something distracts the shooter and he he shoots the the FBI agent. And then they're like, "Fuck, okay, we're off." Uh, and then it ensues this wonderful car chase. Mm. And and the facts like like William Peterson was driving and he's going and they've blocked off this highway. And they've got the traffic actually going in the wrong direction. So it's mm. like UK roads. So it's literally flipped and they're going in the wrong direction up that. Even So it's not only is it flipped wrong on the road itself. So they're going against traffic, aren't they? So yeah. they're driving into oncoming traffic. That's yeah. right. So and uh, and William Peterson was like, this doesn't make any sense. All of this is really wrong. And this doesn't, this is all very confusing. And William Freakin says, I'm disorientating the audience because mm. i want them to feel as panicked and as that's like... interesting because i didn't even think about that because of course that's the side of the road we drive on mm. but it makes sense for an american audience i'm sure and him talking about it makes sense but i didn't even 
Yeah. When I was watching it, I didn't think anything of it. I I I don't drive, so I, it didn't really. And I I, I there is a very specific detail that only they picked out, and I was like, oh well, yeah, that is that is interesting. The bigger um, deal was driving towards like a freeway, or for us, a motorway <laughs> worth of oncoming traffic. That felt a yes. bit more of a big deal. <laughs> I agree, I agree, but but this is that again. That's the idea of that is chaotic, but again. Mm bringing it in and making it work and again and i think we talk about action sequences and telling that story and i think this is like a master class mm. that that whole sequence of, of that that chase sequence is just a master class of that and poor old um uh, pankow um he was like do i have to get in the car today <laughs> i really don't want to get in the car and then again that panic and that like He's almost like hyperventilating. He's mm. that like he's that like fuck, fuck. And then afterwards, when he comes out of the car, he's like, fuck, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? I don't know. And then Richard Chance is like, we'll just get that window replaced. We did it. Woo. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, he's like, we've got to get back to the carpool. So we'll just get the window replaced. Luckily, there's no other damage. I know, yeah. 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 What what I love as well is it implies that um Rick Masters knows their secret yeah. service agents from the fucking get-go like mm-hmm. from the minute they meet them he's like mm, don't have the money you're not real and then clearly and then uh vukovic goes to the lawyer and he's like the only way to get out of this jam you're in after stealing from the fbi and killing a guy mm-hmm. you're gonna have to give me the money that you've now got and confess yeah yeah, yeah. and then later we find out like rick masters is like why didn't you take the deal so they could have yeah. they could have avoided because he does mention to um, Chance, doesn't he? Chance and Masters have a meeting without Vukovic at one point, don't they? Mm, yeah. And he says something like, um, "I know that's not your name." And he does like a classic mm. William Defoe or something along those lines. He does mm. a classic William Defoe like cackle mm. afterwards, which is always wonderful to see. Oh, yeah. um, and you can see like Chance is like, "Oh, that's a bit weird." Yeah. Because it's sort of implying it, but not. Like, it's that again that 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 playing with playing with knowledge and identity and. Mm. and counterfeiting is definitely mm. going on that scene he's sort of indicating i know that you're not pretending you i know you're pretending to be somebody else mm. but he doesn't reveal that he knows that somebody else he is his secret service he just implies you're using an, an alias you're you're using a different name even john Totoro's character he's suspected of of going off with the money yeah and you kind of and you kind of believe that he has a little bit like he's that kind of you know, he's the way he re- responds when Willem Dafoe questions mm. him. You think, you think, yeah, he probably has fucking stolen it, hasn't he? But then we learn later as a, di- a different guy, and then even then, you're like, oh, maybe he's not so bad. But then Max he- Waxman, another that- wonderful name. <laughs> wonderful, Max Waxman. Um, but but then we we find out later that you were like, oh, I've got a poor kid in the hospital, and you think you think, and and then Peterson and uh, Chance is like, oh, okay, then we'll. We'll go. We'll just check. Check she's in there, mm. and then again, it's just a, a way to get him fucking decked, and then run off. Uh, which I loved as well. Again, that kind of counterfeit world we we've been talking about. I think uh, what's quite quite you, you need to tell me about the, the deleted scene in a second. Oh yeah, sorry. Back, but, um, sorry. What I did I like was the fact that uh, Peterson's chance was was this risk taker, and you know hmm. he was that that classic kind of run into situations head first. But he wasn't like a he wasn't indefeatable. No. He gets beat down quite a lot. He's kind yeah. of more like a noir protagonist in that way. Yes. Like John Turturro's character beats him down. And there's another point. Is, is it with the FBI guy when he sort of, they have a bit, they have a bit of a tussle? I don't know. There's another point later in the film when he has a bit of a tussle with somebody. And actually, when it comes it's, to... It's, he's, uh, I'll tell you what's a good sequence is yeah, when probably. he's getting them, trying to get the money, the diamonds out of the briefcase. Yeah, yeah. 
and he's struggling. So apparently the scene that, wasn't yeah, supposed to, yeah, wasn't that, supposed to yeah. go on that long. But Freakin was like, just keep the cameras rolling. Keep again, uh, Freakin was looking for these little happy little accidents that would occur. Mm. Um, and again, that's kind of just the way the world works, I guess. But he's he was supposed to like smash it and i think they were supposed to cut but he kept smashing it smashing it smashing it smashing it smashing it and again it's not opening like he's mm-hmm. he's struggling it's not like he's done oh it, it opens in one go he's he's genuinely like fucking going for it like fuck this fuck this and he's really fucking throwing it and then the the phone book falls out so they mm. know it's fake and they're like you think this is fucking funny take your fucking pants off i think that was improvised as well him taking the okay. clothes off He's like, okay, I'll take my clothes off. <laughs> you know, um, but that that is again one of those wonderful little kind of like you said, a noir protagonist would struggle, would have issues, mm. would not get the girl, would not do that, all wound up about it. If he was a hero, then he would just be like, Oh, it's it's perfect, it's done, you mm. know, not but yeah, he gets he gets he gets tricked, he gets, you know, he's not, yeah, like you said, he's not infallible, he's very mm. fallible, but because he has this cocksure determinism, mm. like, I'm going to fucking do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to fucking do it. We'll find a way, figure it out. And then they, the when they go to see, when Willem Dafoe goes to see Waxman, they were mm. sleeping on the job and they missed the fucking guy. Yeah. They, killed, yeah. they killed him. So it's like, fuck's sake. <laughs> what now? And again, like, they, they do fail, but it's that never say die attitude that gets them eventually yeah. their man to a degree. Um, but yeah, this deleted scene anyway, because I, I went off topic, but this deleted scene, Zavukovic, seeing his his ex-wife, he goes and because he, he's in bits, he's like, mm-hmm. I just don't know what's going to happen. We're going to the, do this deal. Anything could fucking happen. I could die. So he's estranged wife. He goes to visit her and he's like, and then he realizes that she's, I was like, can I come in? Can I talk to you? I need to talk to you. And she's like, no, you can't come in. And he's like, you've got someone in there. You've got someone in there. You slut. I can't believe you're fucking doing this. And then he kind of goes to attack her. And I think uh, William Freakin said, oh, I wish I had that. It was really well acted. It was a good little scene. But I actually, I was like, no, I, I, that I found Vukovic a relatable character. Mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. And I think if they had that in, again, I know he's on, he's on his path to becoming a counterfeit mm-hmm. chance by the end. But I think that would have been too far for me because yeah. again, even even Peterson is yeah he might be you know abusing his power, but he wasn't he wasn't you know sexist. He's not beating her up or being violent in any way to to Flugel. But yeah, I just I didn't like that. So I'm I am actually glad they cut that because it it because he's more relatable mm-hmm. without that scene. I think if that scene happened, I'd be like, no, I don't really like him anymore. Not that yeah, I, yeah, yeah. not that I love him or like him, but he's not as relatable. If you do that, I think no, and it needs that. That is important. No, it's, you're absolutely because it's important later on that we need to relate relate to him for for the final moments yes. of this journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, what what are what are the uh, kind of? I, I do ask this a lot, but um, <laughs> how Christmassy is this Christmas? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it has some dates that come up that are in December, <laughs> and that's it. That's about it. And, it's uh, LA, so it's sunny and it's warm and it's hot. Uh, hmm. I didn't see any Christmas decorations, I don't think. No. Nobody says anything about Christmas. No, no. Um, there's no Christmas music. There's no decorations. Yeah. There's no. There's nothing to indicate they would have been on or around the Christmas holidays. Um, now, on, on IMDb, mm. it says that there is no reference to Christmas or the Christmas holiday and they've someone's put that under goofs. <laughs> you gotta love IMDb trivia and goofs. 
And I was like, I was like, but he's he's doing it deliberately because for me, it's kind of saying something about uh, commercialism, the commercialism of that sure. holiday. Yeah, yeah, I think um, there's a lot of red and green lighting, especially in that scene you described earlier in the strip club between mm-hmm. Flugel and Peterson. Um, the fucking title is Color of Christmas as well. It's red and green. Yeah, you know, I, I think he's knowingly doing that because what it is for me is for Richard Chance doesn't fucking matter what time of year it is. He's mm-hmm. going to get his man. He's yeah, going to do his job. the The time of year it has nothing to do with anything because he, it's his job day in day out to catch these people, these counterfeiters, or to protect the president, whatever calls for it. But that for him is his driving force. So it could be on fucking Easter. It could be on whenever. It doesn't matter when it is mm-hmm. really, because he's obsessed with getting his man. Yeah, agreed. Perhaps Rican feels like Christmas is a counterfeit time of year. Mm, true, true. A lot of maybe false sentiment and yeah, yeah, could be. Could be I mean, all, we we do obviously tip into the new year as well. Come sure. the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and you know that has its own connotations of you know, yeah, like, new year, new man. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of important for where the film goes to. Sure. I mean, a slight sidebar. What I mm. thought was really interesting is when the when the titles come up, the captions come up of you know like mm. December the twenty fourth or whatever it might be, they have a time on it. Yeah, I, th- I, I did wonder what the fuck the time was about. I never understood why it specified the time. Mm. It never seemed seemed relevant. I'm sure there's a reason why somewhere. I thought it was a fun little like a fun, yeah. fun little thing, but I'd like to, and, and also the fonts are all and if you notice were different every time. Mm. So the font for the titles continue to change throughout the movie so i'd like to go back and and look at that and and think whether there's anything in that choice of font at that point Mm. and really whether that you know there can be something that can track why the times are there why they're important Mm. the times of the day um is is there anything else you'd like to say about the film in general i do want to get into the ending shortly um but maybe the making of the film oh i tell you what go on why don't we talk about the counterfeit money and what happened with that Oh, in 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 yeah, in IRL for reals. Yeah, in for real for real life in real life. <laughs> so we yeah. we were talking earlier about the counterfeiter that was brought on mm-hmm. to make the money. The Secret Service kept an eye on it and was like, "Yeah, don't let any of that money get out." Well, I mean, I mean, Freakin got invited, didn't he, to uh, visit with? No, I don't think Secret Service to, to mm-hmm. visit with. He got a phone call essentially saying, "Like, you yeah. need to come in because you are not allowed to make this money." And he said, "We'll get a warrant then." And they were like. You you know like you want to take it that far, do you? And he was like, "Yeah, I do. I'm not coming in of my own volition, but if you'd like to get a warrant and tell me I have to come in, mm. then we'll go down that road." And the warrant never appeared. So, I've got a film get... to make. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got yeah. no fucking time to do it. I've only got this. I've got six million dollars. <laughs> I've got to. I've got to pick it up. We're just gonna do do this, do that tomorrow. Just know I your think... lines, and we'll do it. But yeah, I think stories vary between who who took it, yeah. whether it was whether it was the prop master or whether it was somebody. But it got into the hands of the children of somebody on the set mm. who went and bought a load of sweets from the grocery store. <laughs> but they're one sided. So as soon as they handed the money over, the shopkeeper went in the back, called up whoever you call up. I don't know who you call up when you've got fake notes. And suddenly, yeah, the Secret Service, the counterfeit, the real Secret Service mm. counterfeit unit. We're down questioning these boys, questioning the the set member, 
I think he said he spent he had six visits or he spent six yes. occasions where he was invited in to uh to discuss his his role in the movie and why he's making this money and how it got offset. I think they I think they they had him in six times and then I think I think they were like I think Friedkin was like right if they ask you in again just tell them to book you because I'm not wasting any more fucking right, time. Fair enough. Yeah, just, yeah. He was like what he was like what do you mean book me? <laughs> so yeah so and then afterwards they they came back and they were like this all needs to be burnt but mm. again from from what I've heard from Friedkin is that he may have he kept some of the perfect versions the double-sided and spent some of it himself apparently just to Um, try it out maybe but yeah obviously we're on both sides so he couldn't really been pulled up for that but yeah they were they all had the same serial number on didn't they the exact same serial number yeah each one of them had each each note had three different flaws that you could pick out i don't know what those flaws were and i don't think anyone would reveal them just in case but Mm -hmm. there was three specific flaws within the note that you could determine it was a it was a fake note okay um so yeah so um yeah it's wonderful that that the thing they're trying to depict (laughs) they've got They've got the guy on set, the writer of the book, who was in the Secret Service, and Freaking describes all of those guys as fucking nuts because, mm-hmm. again, these two worlds colliding just seems so bizarre and so it's so Hollywood, again, in a way, um, just because it's such a bizarre, bizarre way of, think- of thinking. But I think I think we, we've danced around it and referred to it enough. I think we need to talk about the ending or yeah, at least sure. at least maybe just prior to the last 10 minutes so can we mention for 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 the sake of our femon collective and for yes. Rhea, that we do have a dong in this movie as well oh yes Pete peterson unleashes the dong in the very realistic sex scene mm. in him and flugel mm. which you know peterson uh freaking essentially said make it look as good as you can. And I don't know if you watched the same behind-the-scenes documentary that, that I did, but the two of them said, we made it comfortable for each other and we made yeah. it very realistic. And I think mm. we can all we can all understand what happened sure. on that set for that scene. I think, as I understand it, the same as what happened on the set of Don't Look Now. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I, they, I, made I, that, they made that look very realistic too. Okay, okay. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I can neither confirm or deny, but yeah. I mean, it's shot very tastefully. It's in silhouette, isn't it? So mm. they're they're back after the kind of initial, like, let's yeah. get it on. They're shot in front of the open window behind them. So mm. they're both in silhouette. Yeah. But what is in silhouette is very clear. And maybe, the- maybe, maybe nowadays with Blu-ray quality, HD, 4K, would you can see mm-hmm. a little bit more than... than- maybe. Possibly, you should certainly close. Mm. I would say, yeah, sure. They got on, they got on well, and it it, it sounds. It, what I like about this as well is everybody has a good thing to say about William Friedkin. Like any, mm. oh, yeah. all of the interviews, everyone that, like some people think he's like a hard ass or you know difficult or Hurricane Billy or whatever, but every single actor, and I think he's more of a an actor's director than most. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all like he was so collaborative, he was so open, he was he loved the ideas I came up with, or he was he was open to the discussion. He'd I'd come to set and he'd just say, Wear that, what you're wearing now, just wear that. It's right, brilliant. yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and you know, all the actors of didn't have a bad word to say. And I think those love scenes were as good as they were. And Willem Dafoe and and the other actress, I'm blanking on her name, uh, his girlfriend in that. Um, yeah. like she's you know there's I think there's the same situation there that kind of like mm. do what feels comfortable do what feels natural 
it sounds like he was the the um what do they call him now the um intimacy yeah, officer intimacy or what? coordinator or something coordinator, yeah, yeah. yeah so it sounds like he was just doing that job he didn't go like mm-hmm. oh show me some fucking tits do that get your ass out or anything like that he just goes make it comfortable make it authentic make it real mm-hmm. and and hopefully we'll catch that on the camera mm-hmm. um and and yeah abs- absolutely i think there is so like again just those little minute moments are so important and the fact that the fact that Willem Dafoe is is filming his as well adds another level, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and and again, there's a lot of kind of homoeroticism again in this. Yeah, well. there is. Like the the initial part, the first time I watched it, when Willem Dafoe goes up and kisses that dancer, mm. I was like, "That's a man." She's styled to look. Yeah, absolutely. That in that moment, she is does that. Yeah. Like it's it's definitely not a man. After kind of watching it again, I was like, "Oh no, it's definitely a woman." But I think the way it's framed, the way it's yeah. It's it's implying that he's he's homosexual, and and then it's the surprises. She takes a wig off, which takes the thing off, and she's like, "Oh, it's me." But even then, she's bisexual um, yeah. anyway, because she she's uh, there with Daphne from Frasier. Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, before she settled down and you know started uh, helping out the cranes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because when 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 Chance comes into his life, he does like to get into his personal space as well, doesn't he? Yeah, again, yeah. And he's he's feeling him up and touching. And he's like, "Oh, mm. you work out, and oh, is this for me?" And you know, there is, and it's like right there in mm. in his face. And yeah, absolutely. There's definitely he's he's playing with a lot of. I guess they would have been kind of controversial at the time, but it doesn't seem. I mean, he's coming off cruising, I guess, anyway, which is you know yeah. full of full of LGBTQ plus content. Again, I've not seen it, so I don't know. Um, I know it's controversial, but. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting that he adds these kind of layers. Again, like they don't necessarily need to be there, but they do add a lot to the characters and their motivations and who they are. And and again, at the end, when right at the end, we see we get a, a scene with the lawyer and with Willem Dafoe's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And apparently they they, you know, she's she's talking about it because it's transactional. It's such mm-hmm. a transactional relationship. And she's like, because he goes, oh, why did you follow him, or why were you his lawyer for so long? And she was, he was like, oh, it's business, and she's like, same, basically, yeah. it's a, it yeah. was a business relationship, uh, which is interesting. And then she gets in the car with Jane Levy or Daphne from Frasier, and they leave. But apparently, she wasn't in the car initially. And Freakin's mm. like, let's try it with her in the car, and then they go off and and live their life with all the money they've made. But it's interesting that the lawyer values his paintings. Mm, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, ne- he was like, "This is a piece of shit. This, I don't want this. This is a destroy. It's not good enough for me." But the lawyer loved those with that work, mm. which I found really interesting. And again, again, we don't get a, like, like I said, nothing is wasted. Every second on screen is doing or saying something that needs to be said about the situation, the characters, you know, the world that they inhabit, and not a second is wasted. And again, the if you're if you're looking for like the text is very, very little in this film, but mm-hmm. the subtext is mm-hmm. is cavernous. Yeah. It's like the Mariana Trench of subtext. Yeah, just as Sorcerer was. I mean, it's what Freakin mm. does, isn't it? And just as French Connection is, it's been a long time since I've seen that. But mm. what people are saying and what they mean and what they're doing are two different things. So, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I watched, as you know, I watched the Hunted yes. yesterday because I was still on my little Freakin trip. And we're into, you know, that, that was very much text and all text. There was no subtext to that. So... Yeah, his his power of subtext are diminished by that point, perhaps. And I know people are very negative on rules of engagement, which I've not seen. But yeah, at this point, 
Hmm. He's still got a lot to say, whether, as you said, it's about character or about the city or about the world they inhabit or about politics. Or I think what's wonderful about this, just as Saucer was, it's, it's completely interpretive. And I think he'd be very happy with that. I don't think he would say there is one one meaning as perhaps what he was thinking about as he made it. But there's so much to be read into it. I mean, the, the as you said, the relationship between the two women and the performance art nature of what they do and the fact that Masters can't break into that world or he can't be success in the in the artist world that he wants to be, but his partner is. And yeah, there's lots of interesting things. And she's a woman and mm-hmm. dresses like a man on stage. There's loads of interesting things to take from it, absolutely. We got sidetracked again. Sorry, yeah. I think that, I think that was me. But let's let's talk about this ending. So we've sure. got they finally they've finally got the money. They've got masters. They've organised the meet. They're gonna uh, buy the counterfeit money off him, mm-hmm. and they're gonna catch him in the act. Um, they're in and, the gym, aren't they? They're working out together in the gym in a very again very homoerotic again. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. A lot of a lot of male nudity. Surprising amount of male nudity as well, uh, mm-hmm. which. Which again is it can be appreciated. Again, Rhea will appreciate, I'm sure. Um, but we're going we're gonna go into heavy, heavy, heavy spoilers now. So this is for you, Tonya, and anybody else who doesn't want this film spoiled. Mm-hmm. We're gonna spoil it quite massively because we need to talk about the ending because it's very, very important. So they meet up and Jack, what happens in this meetup? As we've discussed from before, there's actually layers that they don't realise, that the Secret Service agents don't realise. They go into the locker room, Chance passes over the money, or he's going to pass over the money, but he's like, not until I see the, the counterfeit. And he goes to the locker, and as he does, I don't know what the name of the heavy is, but the heavy yeah. pulls a shotgun out, doesn't he? Mm. And reveals, mm. ha we know all along. How I interpreted it was that Chance moves away from um, Masters in order to protect Vukovic. Because the guy's turning the shotgun towards him. I don't know if you interpret it the same way. Yeah. The gun is fired and Chance's head explodes. So our protagonist, our lead character, uh, dies with about 15 minutes of this movie left to go. Yeah. He shoots the heavy at the same time. So they literally take each other out. They reveal that they're agents. They open because the briefcase uh, is supposed to have the money in, I think, or supposed to have something in. They open it, it's a recorder. The guns are in there. And so they pull that out and go, got you, fucking son of a bitch. And they're like, and they've pulled the money out of the locker. They pulled this out. And then while while he's trying to cuff Masters, the heavy pulls out a shotgun out of another locker mm-hmm. and then makes that shot. But uh, but Chance intervenes and then he's he's in bits. And Vukovic, Vukovic is absolutely like, he's short, he, isn't it? Yeah. He's, abs- he's built up this whole film's been building up to this moment for Vukovic, for Pankow. And again, this is why I think he's. Everyone's great in this, but I think the underrated performance of this film is is Vukovic, is mm-hmm. Chong Pankow, because that that just that arc for him is is incredible. And again, we're going to get into the further into the ending, but um, he's just like, "Fuck, don't yeah, do yeah. this to me, don't leave me, fuck!" Like it's it's happened. And Rick, you don't see him; he kind of he runs away mm-hmm. before you get a chance to see it. But uh, earlier earlier in the film. They've they visited a uh, Vukovic visited a uh, an artist a disabled man uh, in a wheelchair which again unusual for this type of film in this type you know it's showcasing a lot of people um, that probably wouldn't have been in your average film your average Hollywood film so it's nice to see you know different people with different of different um, you know abilities disabilities body types so again really interesting to to see freaking playing around with that. 
Um, again, it's a, a kind of a throwaway scene, but it's just a nice thing to mm-hmm. to see, you know. Um, but yeah, he he finds out where his base is, where he's been printing his money because they've been after they're trying to find it. Like Frank finds it at the start, he thinks he does, and then it's a trick and he gets shot uh, by Willem Dafoe and dumped in a dumpster, which Peterson finds, and then Vukovic joins him and the chance go on and, and do the rest of the film. So uh, he he comes, he travels, he goes there, he finds it's all on fire and he meets... He'd, he'd gone to earlier in the film, hadn't he? Because yes. he was told to go to the area and mm. it's got like a Chinese symbol on it. It's got that's like right. Symbol. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But he had seen it before, but not done anything with that information yet. Yeah. No, he just kind of held on to it. And then he he finds it burning because he's like, it's got to be this place. Uh, and he breaks in and 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 then that that's when Rick, Ma- Rick Masters goes, why don't you take the deal from the lawyer? Mm. Why, don't you, why don't you take the deal? Like I think Rick Masters at this point, he's like he knows it's over. Like it doesn't even. Yeah, matter. he's he's sort of watching as well burn, isn't he? He's yeah, still, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, like fire again, like, like literally and metaphorically. I mean, exactly. Yeah, it's all gone up in flames. His yeah, his art his art world has gone up in flames. His counterfeit his his only counterfeit world is the last world he has left has gone up in flames as well. And again, he's got nothing left. And he very casually just like knocks knocks um, Pankare down. Pours very casually pours all this like shredded paper on him, all the counterfeit, like everything he's put his life into is is put everything into is now in pieces. It's shredded. It's on fire. And then he goes to light him on fire. And then he has the most wonderfully ridiculous death. Um, oh, brutal. It's brilliant because Pankow's like, you only just punched me. I've still got my gun. So he literally <laughs> just rolls over and shoots him. It's like, don't know what the fuck you're doing. Just be and weird and arty. And sets himself on fire, doesn't he? Yeah, hits the chemicals and it just all oh, just like, Bleh. and then I think he keeps firing the gun even when he's like. Ah. It's a really impressive. Like, I don't know if there's anything more impressive in movies than people being on fire. Mm. Sustained that, burn, yeah. That is a that is somebody on fire. That is mm. fucking scary. But like Maniac Cop Two. That yes. is an amazing like person on fire scene in a prison. But I would say this is up there. Like mm. the camera is on that stuntman wearing whatever he's wearing on fire for a considerable mm. amount of time. It's not something you will find me doing anytime soon. No. Uh, Maniac Cop 2 has also been covered on Alternativity Stories. <laughs> so if you want to go back, and Jack did a review of it as well. Um, I'll link to both. Um, but yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And then... We get to the the we get that scene that we've just discussed about the lawyer and the girlfriend of Willem Dafoe, but then also we get Pankow rocks up to Flugel's house mm-hmm. and and then he's like he's trying he basically forces his way in, you know. Dressed uh, very differently, dressed very much like Chance would have dressed earlier in the movie. Black like leather, da- sunglasses. Like David Hasselhoff from Knight Rider. <laughs> yeah. And you can feel like it's not quite right. He's, mm. he's not it's almost like the cool. It's like someone trying to be cool, but because you're trying to be cool, it's it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's almost it's almost like that. And you're like, you set him up. You did this. You did that. You still owe me. You're going to work for me now. And it's implied mm. that he has become a counterfeit version of Chance himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, new year, new man, as we said. And Flugel was like, she was literally on her way out. She was about to leave this world. And again kind of fits into the Wang Chung song as well, which we've not mm. really talked about. Um, but before we talk about them, what? so we have right as the last shot of the film, we've had that. He's like, I'm the new chance. I've inherited, I've become him. I've embodied him, his spirit. And again, we get a shot of chance. There's a few shots of him mm. uh, from earlier in the film, like he's, he's still there. 
But then also we have a shot where his his car pulls up and it looks like it's him in the car. Mm-hmm. And that's when the film ends. Well, even after that, you get the final shot of him. Oh, yeah, there's another one. Like a close-up of him, but standing in that kind of almost mm. like hero pose and like... Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting ending, isn't it? It's almost as if so. You say, I, this is fascinating. So you and I hear what you're saying. Like uh, Vukovic and Whisper comes like a a counterfeit embodiment of what mm. Chance was. Mm. I think that's interesting. That's a really good reading of it. I think also that sense of like you like almost like Chance's spirit inhabits Vukovic. Mm. I think and it could be. Yeah, suggested sure. suggested yeah, yeah. by this ending too in that the, you know you know now that he's dressing like him and maybe he's driving his car and that's why we get this final shot i don't know it's a real it's a mind fuck of a way to end your movie and i absolutely love it yeah i'm so i, I didn't notice that shot until i watched it this time because i was like wait that's that's him that's him pulling up so i don't know if maybe it's her imagining or wishing or remembering or... that he was there and they could run away together look listen there's no way he's alive <laughs> It's like like in Departed. Well, um, well. Let's not spoil, you know, spoiler warning for the Departed. Yeah. But, you know, the Capri does not make out the movie. He gets shot in the fucking head. I'm sorry. William Peterson does not make out this movie. He has a massive hole in his head. He's well, 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 well. So they were this. I don't think this was in the book. I, I read that maybe only 20% of the book was used for this okay. film. Hit my mic. Um, so... They decided because initially it was supposed to be Vukovic that got shot, mm-hmm, which makes mm-hmm. sense. Your standard kind of action yeah. police procedural, it'd be the partner that died, and then he goes and gets his man, finally gets his man. Um, but they said, Well, this guy is living on borrowed time, mm-hmm. he's constantly putting himself at risk, putting others at risk to get his man and to do what he needs to do. And it's time's going to run out eventually for him because the way he you know, and again, that's what Frank says at the start of the film. Mm. He, you know, he he sets it up. He and goes, "Only oh, times you can put yourself in this situation and walk away, or something." He says, "Exactly, yeah. exactly." So it's set, it's set up beautifully, but then it was only decided, I think, at the last minute. They were like, "What if we? What if we kill off the protagonist?" They were like, "Well, that's a twist. No one will see that coming." I think Bud Smith said the editor. Um, so they decided to do it. The studio was not happy about this. I'm sure. Yeah. Surprise, yeah. surprise, because they were like, "Oh well." You know, uh, you know. I think they said initially as well that the characters weren't likable. But they're like, but then they say, "Oh, you don't want to kill off the guy." We, they've just gotten to like him, and I'm like, "He's not, but he's not a likable character." <laughs> so, so they're thinking of, of you know your average kind of cop hero or your Eddie Murphy. I think that I think William Peterson would have called that the Eddie this this ending I'm about to describe the Eddie Murphy ending, the mm. Beverly Hills Cop ending. But they said, "Oh, you just you know you, we've got to like him. We're we're on board with him, and then he gets killed. What do we do?" Um, but that's that's fucking interesting. Again, it's really fucking interesting that they do that. And it makes sense for his journey, for his but they were like, they were like, okay, do you mind shooting another version of it? And they were like, okay. And they came up with this idea that chance gets shot, but in the in the stomach and survives. And then they are, because they've they've basically broken all these laws and and you know, got this FBI guy killed, um, you know, gone above and beyond. Um, they are sent to Alaska. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are sent yeah. to Alaska, and they sit there, and they watch as Robert Downey Sr. Uh, says, oh, I did all the work. I did it. I caught, I, you know, I captured him. We did all this. And uh, unfortunately, he died in the resulting shootout uh, type of thing. And and then Chance gives this, like, wry smile. And again, that's what he would describe as the, the Beverly Hills cop ending, because it's mm. like, oh, we fucked up, but at least we did it, and we kind of did it, but now look at our lives. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like 
don't know. Just and and then the the Wang Chung uh, track weight plays. But yeah, it just it was just like it's like they purposely gone out of their way. It was like Harrison Ford in Blade Runner doing the shit narration. <laughs> it's like they've gone out of their way to make this as shit as possible, so they can't use it. Yeah. So they'll go with the original ending, which is which is what they they tried it once, and Freakum was like, "No, take it out, shit, put the original back in." Mm-hmm. And and again, it's better for it. Yeah, it's not a film that it should be wrapped up. It's not like a it's not a film, happy ending. is not the right word, no. but you know, it's not a film that should have a resolution or a good guys win yeah. or yes, a, it, yes it's absolutely a, it's not that sort of film it's a film where like it has a natural end but that natural end is everybody's fucked it's definitely a morally gray film as well i think because uh, mm. again you kind of like rick masters in a sense you kind of he has a charm yeah there's a there's a charm to it like again i think likes a bad word but there's you he has a magnetism I think it mm-hmm. might just be Willem Dafoe, but there's something about that character, that performance, that actor, his lifestyle, yeah. the way he lives. There's a magnetism towards him and Chance in kind of opposite directions. And 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 that's why they work. Even though they're polar opposites, they're drawn to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's yeah, it's there's there's something to it. But I think you are absolutely 100 percent you don't end the film that way because it's not. It, it just feels completely out of place with the rest of the film. Yeah, it's not a wink. It's not a wink movie. No. It's not like, ah, we got away with it. Or like, yeah. yay. It's just, it doesn't work. And I think I think Vukovic dying and having the classic ending would have been okay. It would have, you know, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have damaged the rest of the movie. It just no. would have ended in a much more conventional way. What they choose to do is absolutely the right decision. 100%. 100%. Because it Could- is a real, like, what the f- Fuck, man. Because yeah. it's not like, again, as you said, shot in the stomach or shot in the shoulder or mm. a shot and they fall down and you don't know where they're shot and mm. you're just waiting for them to come back later on. But I mean, there is no mistaking in this movie what happens because he is definitely shot in the head with a shotgun. Yeah. And that is the, that, that is the again, end. Again, that scene is us being disorientated because you're not sure where the shot's coming from, how he got the shotgun, where's Rick yeah, Masters, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, where's Vukovic. And I think that's why they could edit in him being shot in the stomach because it's it's so like... But again, it, it tells the story. It's not choppy editing. It, it's there for a reason, but it, it needs to be told in that way. And then then you get the... Because again, like violent actions happen quick and, and the mm-hmm. fucking... And that's it. People are dead. Fuck, dead, gone. And, and I think that's it. You And then you get that lovely shot, like you were saying, the composition and the framing... The, it's almost like a security camera, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. And it's just, it's Vukovic just kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, brilliantly, brilliantly. Um, yeah, just fantastic. Um, just all, all of that is just wonderful to me. But uh, yeah, highly recommend this. I think you would, uh, from the start of the podcast, I assume you are the same. No, I hated it. <laughs> no, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I think um, it ended and I thought, fuck, that was good. And then I couldn't get it out of my head, which is why then, you know, I was messaging you. It was late at night. And I'm mm. going to stick, I'm going to put this documentary on now. And that's for free on YouTube. If people want to look it up as yeah, a documentary, yeah. you can watch. And I think, it, I think it's the same one that's on the Blu-ray, but I think it's yeah. available on YouTube as well. And then I was, you know, the next day, oh, that's not, I still want to know more. So then I was, like I say, downloading podcast podcast because Freakum was on it. I downloaded um, Defoe on the Mark mm. Maron, what the fuck as well. And yeah. I just wanted to live more in this world. I don't want to die in this world, but I want to live more in this world. And even now, as time's gone on, it's growing and growing on my estimations, I think. It's a yeah. film that I'm definitely going to go back to a lot. And I think there's depth that would 
you would get from multiple rewatches. Mm. I mean, I mean, I've I've since the first time I watched it, and now I I appreciate it a fuck ton more than I did. Mm. I already already really liked it, but mm-hmm. you know, it's an, another level entirely. And and yeah, and Freakin loves it. Freakin says this and Sorcerer. He judges his films as close to the original uh, conceit of them. If he can mm-hmm. get them as close as he can to that, he succeeded. And this and uh, Sorcerer were those two for him. Okay. Those are the ones that kind of came out. He goes, this is what I've envisioned, and this is what's on film. He's a, he's a fan of his own work. Surprise, I mean, surprise. Uh, as he should be. When, you know, when it comes to these, these two films that we've watched and discussed. and Yeah, I think, you know, you said it a couple of times, there's not a wasted moment in this movie. I think... Other than that opening sequence, which is yeah. is, a, is a bit weird, and yeah. I, I almost don't kind of count as the movie mm. as such. It's a bit well. It's it's not unlike when we talked about Sorcerer, is it? It's kind of the weird vignettes we had. Yeah, but I do think they are vital for the yeah, rest of the film. I whereas I think actually you could get rid of that and yeah, but it would almost really like, make a difference to the rest of the movie. Yeah, but I mean, it's that it's that thing where it's like. You know, people considered it like again. I believe when I first watched it, again the vignettes were weird. But then mm, mm-hmm. coming back to it, so I wonder if the next time I watch this, I'll remember that and go, "Oh yeah, this is the weird Secret Service thing." Yeah, and then, we, and then we get into the into the film. So so yeah, I just I completely forgot it was a sequence in it, but I can mm. understand why it's not maybe the best remembered or part of the film. That that was not like I remember the shots of Willem Dafoe and his face and the burning painting and you know yeah. other other parts we described. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, but I think from from after that, from like as you said, yeah. like the opening credits and the music. I'm just looking at my notes here, and I wrote down in my notes. This knows exactly what it is, and exactly is in all caps. That's yeah. just for me. Join nobody else needs to know. But you know, I just <laughs> I needed to know when I look back at that. I need to emphasize this. Freaking knew what he's doing in this movie completely all the way through. He he knows those parallels to Miami Vice. He knows those parallels to other buddy cops and Beverly Hills Cop. That kind of sense of machismo. He's playing with that '80s style. Yeah, I know. I'm, I know. I made light of it, but you know, Knight Rider was on TV still at this point. Sure. So. If you're going to style your main character to make people think of the Hoff, and that's got to be on purpose as well. So I think it's all there because I think, as you said, this whole film was about him pointing out parts of society that he felt were counterfeit. And that that is his critique. And you can see it all the way through. And the moments when it feels raw and authentic, like the sex scene or sex scenes, as you say, hmm. or like the two friends walking and talking to their car or these are the moments that he captured in their authenticity and that all the things around it is what is counterfeit. I think, therefore, that, that's what I got from it and I hope that's what he meant because that feel was exactly what he was trying to do. What did you think to that? Because um, Steve James turns up because he's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's uh, a canon films to Steve James, if you're not familiar. Um, he is a guy... Um, because it, it, this gets com- complicated. John Turturro captured at the start. Willem Dafoe wants him out. Lawyer can't get him out um, because Peterson blocks him. Oh, that's a good scene as well, where where Peterson's asked John Turturro not to come out of jail, and he yeah. goes to the uh, is it the DA or lawyer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I don't he's know. Like, yeah, someone it's like that. affidavit to get him out. Yeah, and he's like, oh no, I need him out now for a sting, and he's like, I don't give a fuck. Go go somewhere else. Because there's a really interesting moment when Peterson's doing like the big balls thing. He's like, mm. fuck you then, and I'm going to leave. And then mm. the guy goes quiet and he goes, 
come back here. And Peterson's character, Chase Chance, comes in almost kind of sheepish, mm. like a little boy being told off at headmaster's office. I found that a really interesting exchange, actually, about that kind of sense of posturing. And again, like that feels like a critique of that moment in police movies, like, mm. here then, take my badge. I'm not going to work for you anymore. And then actually, when he was chastised by somebody, he came in like a little naughty boy. But sorry, well, go on. No, no, I, I agree. I, again, that scene could have been like that, 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 not interesting at all. But the way they both command that scene and their positions of power, it actually, again, it could be a very bureaucratic. And again, that's the point. It's like, oh, it's fucking bureaucracy. You know, yeah. I've got to, I've got to, you know, break the rules to get my man. I'm going to do it. Um, but he's like, he goes, well, I'm not fucking, why should I break the fucking rules for you? I, I literally asked what you, I did what you asked me to do. And now you're asking me to do the fucking opposite. Get, get fucked. And he's like, oh yeah. Yeah. And he's like, right, I'll do, I will do it because you were a fucking prick. I'll do it, but you better watch your mouth next time. I, I love that. But And it was like, if anything goes wrong, this is on you and you are yeah, fucked exactly. if something goes wrong. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, they are fucked because again, the FBI and all this other stuff that's built up. But there's a, yeah. So Steve James is hired to get guys he knows to kill Totoro in jail because they think yeah. he's going to rat Willem Dafoe out. They get Totoro out, and again, they have to ca- recapture him when he escapes the hospital. But um, that fight scene where Willem Dafoe, because it's unsuccessful, the the killing of John Totoro in the prison, and then Chance uses that as a bargaining chip to get him to give up Dafoe yeah. and uh, Masters. But we have this fight scene with, you know, Defoe comes in, goes, you didn't do your fucking job. And and apparently this fight scene, again, not rehearsed, oh, no right, marks, yeah. you know, no. And and Willem Defoe is like, this was a fucking real fight. Like mm-hmm. This is like Willem wanted it authentic, make it look real, make it look real, you know. And and I think Willem Defoe didn't, you know, I think they got hit with stuff and they were grabbing mm-hmm. things. So I think it was they were fucking going for it. And Steve James is like, Willem Defoe is like in good shape, but he's not a fucking Steve James. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, no, fuck, I, he's like Apollo Creed level ripped, isn't he? So, you know, I, I imagine he took a good fucking ass kick in that one. Um, but yeah, so I, I I thought that, and I love that kind of almost like arrow daggering has. He's like, mm. but then again, the heavy comes in and, and f- royally fucks him up with his shotgun again, isn't it? Just, yeah, wonderful little, very tense. Because you think, oh, he's he's in trouble. You, you know, he's got nobody yeah, backing him up. Yeah. And shot wonderfully again, because it's like, it's almost as if, the camera is in the middle of the room, which it probably was. But do you know what I mean like so? What I mean, what I mean by this is like almost as if you are a you're a person that's in the middle yeah. of this melee, yeah. Yeah. and it's kind of whirling one way, and that's going on there, and then it's looking another way, and that's going on there. And it, yeah, it's really well shot. Uh, I think we need to talk about the um, soundtrack because quite famously sure. done by Wang Chung and some um, they William Friedkin, much like Sorcerer, heard their work and he was like, I really like this one track called Wait. He was like, you should make more tracks like this. Like these are these are re- I really love this. And then eventually they started talking about it and going on. And then and Freakin was like, I do not want a song called To Live and Die in LA. Do not give me a fucking song called To Live and Die in LA. They were shown the film, they've composed it. Um uh, I think they were showing it without putting their music to it. And then they came away and they thought about the film. And then they were like, fuck it, we're gonna write a track uh, <laughs> called To Live and Die in LA. And then they showed Freakin or made him listen to it, and they were like, he was like, this is fucking great. We're we're gonna put it, I'm gonna re-edit the film, put it in. It's gonna fucking happen. It's going in. Um, yeah. And and again, you hear Dance All Days as well, which is their kind of uh, debut track. Big Oh, that's in the strip club, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dance all days. The whole um, soundtrack is awesome. And it has this and I and I'm taking words that I heard other people 
mm. involved in the production, but it has this repetitive quality to it that is really catchy and gets stuck in your head, that earworm quality. But he said, you know, I know that freaking wanted that repetitive nature that almost like there's no start and there's no stop to this song. So he can put it in wherever he wants in the movie. But again, that helps to reflect that continuous nature that that always moving forward. You never quite know where you're at mm-hmm. with this case and with what's going on in this story nature as well. So it, it all came together beautifully. I agree. I, I couldn't put it better myself, so I won't. Um, so uh, a few other little things I wanted to mention. Um, Christy Swanson had a role in this film, but it was cut. Ah, from a, sorry. Uh, sorry, Buffy. Sorry, Buffy. Sorry, Deadly Friend, Samantha. <laughs> um, not not such a, not as good a, a film as Buffy, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently she was the daughter of one of the characters. Okay. We be- believe it might be Dean Stockwell's character um, because he was old enough to have a daughter. I think everyone else is yeah. too young. Um, but apparently she greets Willem Dafoe at the door and that was it. And he's like probably weird or creepy or mm. or charming in some way. The uh, you know the paintings that were created, mm-hmm. uh, Rick Masters paintings. They were done by a young German modern expressionist called Rainer Fetting. And uh, Willem Dafoe spent some time with him, and they they painted stuff together. Um, and the canvas that is burnt is is his work. And apparently. If it hadn't been destroyed, it would have been worth a lot of money, <laughs> the artwork. But it wasn't. It was destroyed for this film. Um, and he makes a cameo as well as the priest uh, when they're mm. when they're doing the – they're like, do you want anything else? Because he brings them like coffee. And he has a very strong Germanic accent. That's so he, when they're uh, – In the church, yeah. Wackman, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. And then they fall asleep and he gets killed. And again, that's mm. a fucking great sequence when, you know, she's flirting mm. with him. It's like, I love the rain. It's just like <laughs> – it's like, oh yeah, I'm just You're really horny. Fucking idiot, mate. Because <laughs> like, door is now wide open. I know what's going to walk through that door in a minute. It's almost like a slasher film at that point because it's mm. like he's so horny, mm. he has no idea what's about to fucking happen. And then Willem Dafoe just literally just fucking saunters in, and then and I love that. I love where he get he gets hit by some some of uh, like a statue or a bust, mm. and then Dafoe recognizing goes, oh, it's you know 14th century, and it's also shit. Very, very Hans Gruber, yeah. Yeah, very, very Hans Gruber, but yeah. Uh, anything else I want to say? Uh, I think it might be it, unless there is anything you want to mention at all. Oh, uh, oh sorry, there you is. Go, you go. Yeah, sorry. John Pankow and Willem Dafoe um, turn up in another film together in the same scene, make a mm. cameo in The Hunger. Oh, do they? Okay. The Tony Scott movie. Tony Scott. Uh, and a tragic fact about Tony Scott is he jumped he jumped off the same bridge Chance does. Oh, that's film. right, yeah. yeah. So he 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 ended it. Tony Scott's one of my favorite directors. Is very mm. tragic is the way it ended for him. Um, but yeah, it was the same it was the same bridge, unfortunately. Um, mm. So yeah. Um, what else? Oh, the uh, driving sequences in this inspired Chris Nolan's Tenet. They're better at this than their Tenet, I will say. Probably less confusing as well. <laughs> is that because it's one thing going one way, one thing going the other. Uh, I mean that that isn't as confusing <laughs> as probably all of Tenant, I guess. Even if I'm no. disor- I was disorientated but wasn't confused. Tenant Listen, Tenant is fine. It's, it's good. It's fine. good. You know, it's, it's good. Just... Like and you know, I'd say Oppenheim is great, but it's I think I've not I... seen that yet. But it, it's another thing that you know, when you like freaking, I suppose, you know, hmm. French Connection, Exorcist, Sorcerer, yeah. to live and die in LA. Okay. Out of if they're all out of five stars each, there's twenty stars for you, mate. Nothing's ever going to live up to that, is it? <laughs> yeah, and you know, not really. Nolan has a 
back catalogue of movies which are exceptional, like a- absolutely exceptional. So when it's not quite as good, it just feels a lot worse. Yeah. And that's how I feel about Tenant. Tenant yeah, is true. perfectly fine. It's just not Inception. It's just not The Dark Knight. It's just not pick true. your favourite Nolan movie. Yeah. Like Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer was a very, very good film. Mm. I'd argue Barbie was a great film because it was something different. Mm-hmm. And and I there's nothing there's nothing wrong with Oppenheimer. It's, it is a lot of white dudes talking about nuclear science, and and they all look exactly the fucking same. Every single actor that they cast is dark haired white. Um, but you know it's it's fine for what for what it is. You know the biopic. It's interesting. The yeah. visuals are good. Presumably, found... as it's a biopic, they were all white dudes with similar haircuts. True, true. Um, and then <laughs> and also, um, I found that the actual. The the bomb going off a bit anticlimactic as well. I'll be honest, oh. and it's a, it's a it's a long film. A lot of people talking about stuff. So, and again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I thought it was good, but I'm not. I think Robert Downey Jr. was exceptional. But you know, will I watch it again? Probably not. It's fine. There's a lot of time good. of your life to give to the second time around. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we do have. Uh, is, sorry. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to say before I interrupt again? Only just some funny little observations I made. I just thought, like, you no, know, Peterson. We spoke about him when he's running in the airport and he goes on the mm-hmm. travelator. We we don't know what it's called. The moving walkway. That dude can run. He's got like cruise he level is, running. I was going to say that is some fucking. He's pelting. That's like Ultimate Warrior WWE. <laughs> yeah, he's so like fast. fucking like he's a fucking machine. Yeah. Yeah. He go he goes for it. Yeah, go on, go on. I was gonna say there's a very similar scene that always made me laugh in Manhunter when he's running away. He's just spoke to uh, Hannibal Lecter. Mm. This is a really interesting staircase. And it's just one sustained shot of him just running. I think it's been a long time since I watched that again. It just made it always makes me chuckle because it's just this one static shot and he's just like it just it always made me like I don't know why, but it just fucking tickled me. I love that film, it's great, it's a lot of fun, it's very cheesy 80s, you know. You know, brilliant. Uh, is it better than Red Dragon? I don't know. Maybe we should do a clone balls on it. Who knows? Um, but but yeah, it it made me it did make me think of that just because it was just the way it was shot just like made me chuckle mm. but anyway uh yeah go ahead sorry yeah the other thing was there's just a couple of moments in this i don't know why that jotted me out the littering in this movie really bothered me there's a scene when um chance is like up on his in his apartment it look, overlooks the beach and he takes the the cap off his bottle and just throws it on the beach and i was just like fucking hell come on man you like you live on the beach you must know how important it is to you know keep that clean and i guess 80s were a different time and time. there's a scene later with him and, and everything. Yeah, they're walking into the police station, so they're walking towards camera, and there's a police officer walking away as a, like a counterpoint, and he's eating something or he's finished his drink, and he's just like fucking, just fucking throw it on the floor there in the middle of my police station. I don't know, it just really pissed me off. I don't know why. It's just a phase of all, the, of all the things in this. Of all the little things, I know. <laughs> you're like, you're just... littering. <laughs> yeah, I will yeah, not accept littering in this. Of all the crimes in this movie, the littering was the worst that I witnessed. Definitely. I don't know why it just bothered me. Fucking hell. You're getting old, mate. You're getting old. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. Tell me about it. I'm going to be those people that are going around. The disrespect of someone littering. Those little clippy things that people are picking up other people's litter. Claws, yeah, the little claws. You drop this. You drop this. Put this in the bin. Yeah. I'm going to report you. <laughs> oh, dear. Are you, are you this critical at school when, you, when you're teaching and... 
Oh God, if I was, nothing would ever get done. <laughs> you'd just be reporting people. Oh, right center. Yeah. You'd be the jo- you're the John Pankow of, of teaching. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I I I am taking that. Absolutely. <laughs> Next time I have to have anything where I have to put my name down, I'm not gonna write James Carroll. I'm gonna write John Pankow. <laughs> Vukovic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Well, we do have um, uh, one listener comment. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, other than yourself, I think Paul Meller could be considered, a, uh, you know, along Absolutely. with Derek, a super fan. Um, I, I sent him the link as well because this film is available on YouTube in full in its entirety. So go and watch it. I watched it a few years ago via the YouTube one. I've got the Blu-ray, so I stuck the Blu-ray on this time. But, uh, but yeah, go. It's in pretty good quality. I don't know if it's HD or 4K, but it's pretty good quality. And yeah, on there in full. So just type in to live and die in LA full movie. I'm sure it'll pop up. Um, but he says, okay, thoughts. So this mm-hmm. is at Paul Meller. So it's not at Paul Meller. It's Paul Meller at The Meller Geek on Twitter or X, whatever we're fucking calling it these days. Um, okay, thoughts. Overall, quite good. A bit like Heat Meets Beverly Hills Cop, which we've mentioned both of those. Yeah. Max Waxman, attorney at law. <laughs> Wait, is that Daphne from Frasier? And will she have a Yorkshire accent in this? She doesn't have a line. She doesn't speak. No, it. I guess she probably does, but she doesn't have a line to say. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might take out the film a little bit if she just came mm. up with a very, very general. Maybe that's why she had no lines. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Let me hear your American accent. No shit, forget it. Um, superb, tense heist and car chase. I did not expect the ending, so he's mm. included a mind-blowing emoji, which is quite uh, applicable <laughs> to is, this yeah. to this film, I think. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. That's I didn't get any other comments, but I do highly, highly recommend this. You highly recommend it. I do. Go, go and check it out. It's very. It's a very alternative, uh, alternativity mm. stories because it's got fuck all to do with Christmas at all. Minimal. If you're looking for a Christmas movie, stick with your diehards and your other stuff. Um, like half, I'd say almost every single alternativity story film I've covered covers Christmas more than this one. Right, it's the least. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the least Christmassy out of the bunch that I've done. I, I I'd quite to. happily put this into a yearly rotation, though. No yeah. problem. Yeah, absolutely. No. Like I, 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 I enjoy it, and I think again fits the time of year. But again, I think it is about Christmas while not being about Christmas mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at the same time. So I think you put it perfectly earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well. um, Jack, uh, you are busy doing uh, back to the filmography. I've just listened to your uh, Blitz review with the twentieth mm. century geek. Um, you, yes, wonderful, wonderful dirt, uh, a dirty Larry, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a great, great little review. And again, it was a nice follow up to your One on War, which was was which is a film I. It wasn't my favourite Jason Statham mm-hmm. film or Jet Li film by far, but it was it was an interesting watch definitely, and it was it was nice to revisit that through you because I was like I remember not liking the ending, and then when you started talking about it, I went oh yeah yeah that's why I like it. <laughs> I've got I've got it here on DVD somewhere, but I remember putting it on. Me and my friend Josh watched it, and we were just like yeah, not for me this one. <laughs> but they there you have it, there you have it. But uh, where can people find your podcast yourself on social media? Where are you? I am Jack's Musings. That's where everyone can find me, whatever I'm doing. But yeah, Back to the Filmography is the is the podcast. So I guess around this time, if we're looking at middle December. Yeah, probably second week in December. So I will have just, 
done some more expendables with Max probably, or oh, nice. expendables with Max be coming up. And then I'll be entering the world of Parker. So the state ah. version of Parker, which I will do my usual total deep dive. I think I'm going to watch all the different Parker versions Ooh. of which there's Payback with Mel Gibson. Yeah, there's and, a lot. Um, is, oh, is it Point Blank? Is that Point one? Blank as well, yeah, yeah, with Lee Marvin, which is a mm. wonderful movie. And there's there's quite, I think there's at least half a dozen. So I'm going to go down a Parker wormhole, which I'll enjoy Ooh. very much. But it will give me a nice place to talk about the state interpretation. Because I imagine... That's another unfortunately failed franchise for the state. Because mm. there was, you know, there's books of book upon books upon books to of, to have done there, but it's we not, only ever, we only ever got the one. Yeah, because Blitz was you were saying Blitz was based on one set of books, but not the first book. It was like yeah, like book of... six or something. Randomly. I think I think I think the Parker ones. Are, I think Parker might be the same. Might be like oh, a, is it? Okay. I don't think it's the first book, but maybe like third or fourth. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it'll be, that'll be an interesting one, and mm. I you know I'm quite happy to hear more Expendables. Absolutely, and two, if memory serves, is the best. Yeah, is that the Jean Claude Van Damme one? That is Jean Claude Villain, correct? Oh, Villain, <laughs> of course, of course, of course. I I don't know why I didn't get that earlier. I should have I should have realised that, but of course it's the Villain, and it's um, Liam Hemsworth. Is he in it? I think he's in it. Is it that when he comes in, or is it the th- I don't. Listen, I feel like I feel like he turns up and he gets shot by Jean Claude. Am I right? Spoilers. Mo- well, I mean, we'll find out. I I genuinely can't remember. I remember they have all the Expendables have all bled yeah. into. Other than the first one, because I've rewatched it. I think the, the second one, the second one, I can't, I couldn't tell you what happens in the third one. Um, I think Chuck Norris turn up in the third one, maybe briefly. I think that Who sounds knows? right. Who knows? But I, I know there's the bit where they trade Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger trade catchphrases i think that's in the second one so yeah the second one is the much more of what we thought the first, the first one, would, one be. would have been yeah yeah, yeah uh, which is why it's the best yeah yeah sure sure they've kind of they kind of embrace it a bit more i, I think they've got yeah. more money as well haven't they so yeah yeah I, I i'm loving i'm loving the the following the state and his uh this the state illusion as you call it um i i think it's a it's a wonderful idea and a wonderful podcast i'm so glad you're doing it i'm listening Almost regularly, um, if not regularly, um, because I've, you know, I've, I've fallen behind on so many podcasts, but yours I'm on top of for no, the time being. So uh, so it's really, really good. And again, there's so many podcasts that come out. I don't even listen to like celebrities' podcasts anymore. I don't have the time. Mm. I have to listen to all my friends' podcasts, <laughs> um, which I prefer anyway. And you, you, guys, you guys need the listens. You need the appreciation. You need the drive to keep doing it. And that's why I appreciate people, you know, jumping on board with me listening and and paying on the patreon for stuff as well like yourself Mm. um but yes i will leave all of those links below um so you can find those these are notes for me in the editing that i'll be like (laughs) fuck i'm gonna have to put that down let me stop the edit quick write this down all right got it uh but yes you can find uh if you want to join the Pratalian and to be briefed in full on the secret balls swing over to prattle world at www.spiderdownandthesecretballs.com and don't forget to use the hashtag prepare for prattle when i interact when you interact with us when i interact with us who am i to interact <laughs> with myself uh i'll do that i'll do that this evening maybe uh um uh, over the image of, of willem dafoe just yeah. me <laughs> Me inter- and, and, and William hey. Peterson's dong. I'm going to interact with myself. Listen, you're beautiful. <laughs> I am beautiful. So are you. Thank you again. Um, yes, uh, please subscribe to the Pot Culture Collective newsletter to find out what myself, Comics in Motion, and all the other related podcasts are up to week by week. And I'd like to thank my patrons on Patreon. I'm Jack's Musings. 
he's, he's right here. I can thank him directly. <laughs> uh, Simon Cotton, Paul Mellon, Mike Burton, Angry Andy, Tonya Todd, Tony Farina, Math, Scott Hodgson, and Rhea Carrigan. Thank you for your continuing donations. It is very much appreciated and helps Prattle World keep on turning. And if you ever find yourself in a position to help the podcast, please consider it. And thank you again, Jack. This has been wonderful. I'm so glad we... I know you wanted to do your top five. We will do it next year. I promise we'll do it next year. It's going to happen because I've, I've, I've even, I've made an intro for it. It's, it, I've got it ready. <laughs> I've got an intro. I've, I, that, that, that clone saga one. I had that intro ready for about four years. So, <laughs> so, so this one I've got ready. It's, it's ready to go. So, uh, listen, we'll no complaints. I've had a great definitely. time watching this film and had a great time discussing it. So, no complaints from me. Wonderful. Well, you'll be back again, and we'll do it definitely because I'm, I'm actually quite looking forward to that one. It'll be, it'll be something uh, very, very special. And uh, yeah, I'm, I've not planned out my year as, as this year is going to be Patreon choosing stuff. So it's not going to be like the VHS where you choose anything. Uh, there's going to be, it's going to be down to the guests. They're going to suggest things. If they don't suggest anything, I'm going to suggest stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the Patreon. Get in quick, everybody, before you know. Before yes, I, I tell you what, he gets thrown your way. Yeah, a lot of weird and wacky. Yeah, I mean, we've had we've had almost five years of weird and wacky. I think we can have some, <laughs> maybe some more mainstream stuff. We're doing Candyman. That's the first one, and then we're going to have uh, Blake Biles is bringing us some uh, indie taste, his indie flavor uh, for sure. uh, the second second one. That's not been decided yet. That's currently a tie between Waiting for Guffman and what was the other one? Uh, oh, Lars Deck and the Deck Real Girl. Oh, Lars is winning. Yeah, I've voted for Syndic. I don't know how yeah. to say that word. Syndicate, Syndic. Only because I haven't seen it. So I was like, oh, good. There's a film I haven't seen. Ah, very good. Very good. No, that's 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 how I work. I've seen Lars. I've seen. Ah, okay. They're good films. Don't get me wrong. But there's a film in there I haven't seen. So I'm begin that. Do it, do it. But uh, yeah, so currently it's a tie, but we'll we'll see. Uh, not everyone has voted yet, but I'll I might put out a reminder tomorrow as Friday's the last day. It's Friday morning at end, so I'll put out the last reminder for tomorrow to make sure people vote. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be every so often. Uh, I'll pick I'll pick my guess, and then we'll pick something. I'll put it out, and we'll see what happens. But you'll sure. still be getting your extra stuff. You'll still be getting your weird comic books uh, reviews and any other extra stuff I can think of on your patrons um but yeah thank you again jack i'm glad you liked it i thought you might like it um what i think so when i when i think i know somebody and i go i think they might like this like when i brought the guest to andy i was like i know he didn't like the director's godzilla versus kong but he'll like the guest Mm. and then when he turns around and goes it's fucking brilliant i'm like yes did it again i did it again you did it again you know me well I do, I do, um, and yeah, it was nice to talk about William Friedkin again and and his mm. work, and and again, these these like we said, these films are very linked and very similar in a lot of ways, yeah, so, and absolutely success stories for that director. Other outside of his, you know, the ones that are financially successful, let's yeah. say. Um, I can't recommend those podcasts I've mentioned enough or anything else. He is so easy to listen to. Now, I don't mean that as it, but like he his stories, his anecdotes mm. that. The way he delivers that, I mean, he is just a born storyteller. But I think the Mark Maron one is is over two hours. Yeah. It absolutely flies by because the shit he's going into, or the honesty that he has, and you know, the way that he's willing to talk about his career and the decisions he made, and he just he is chance. He does not mm. give a fuck. Yeah. Very bullshit. Very bullshit. Yeah. But yeah. 
And like on YouTube, you can find him talking about The Exorcist 2, I found quite entertaining as an anecdote. Um, I watched a lot of the kind of screenings and and talks he gave mm-hmm. on YouTube. There's a ton of stuff. Um, he's he is um, he, much like Kevin Smith. I think he's the master of a a good anecdote. I think he's uh, very anecdotal uh, in a good way. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, but no, really, really good. So so we're back on. It's happening. We're in 2023. We've had Tony from last year, and then next, I think, will be Batman Noel with Dan Kiedis. So oh, we're nice. we're doing another seasonal batman comic surprise surprise i mean there's enough comics about him uh and there's a lot of chances that they do end up being at a certain time of year Mm. long halloweens long christmases whatever but yeah that will be up next and then finally we'll have the choir boy andy knowles angry andy knowles (laughs) doing end of days the a lot of people are looking forward to that one math and max especially Mm -hmm. uh they're a big fan of that so that'll be uh new year's that'll come out new year's eve i've got a very vivid memory of seeing that so i'm looking forward to revisiting it (laughs) i saw it a few years ago and uh yeah i remember gabriel Byrne in it chewing the scenery Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast. A uh, lot of tes- a lot of testosterone. This uh, alternativity mm. stories, but mm. not, not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing. But uh, but yeah, we're gonna have some. Uh, it's gonna be a blast this year. I've already had an amazing time talking to you. I had an amazing time talking with Tony um, last year, and I'm glad we're able to share. I was able to share that with everyone as well because it's a wonderful podcast. And these other two will be much of the same. So yeah, let's uh, let's ring out 2023 in the best possible way. Thank you.